This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? Stop yelling at me. I agree. And we are live here on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Crange alongside, as always, the King of Banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? How you doing? I'm exacerbated Joe Lanza. What was that noise that you just made? Ah, uh, just because wrestling stinks. Uh, I, I, oh, well, okay. So there is bad wrestling, but I think there's good wrestling too. There's a lot of bad wrestling though right now. It, it's yeah. it's been tough. It's been a rough ride for a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, between <laughs> between the horror show at WWE Extreme Rules and you know WWE TV in general, you know uh, Sasha Banks winning the title by count out the other night and all the other nonsense that goes on on Raw and, and SmackDown and then. You know, we're going to lead off with New Japan, all of the wackiness going on in New Japan, and they haven't exactly been having great shows either. Um, I got a lot of scorching hot takes for New Japan, let me tell you. It's just, I haven't been that enthusiastic about wrestling. Yeah, I've been noticing that. We can get right into it, because I think it's it's an interesting discussion. But yeah, this is, I feel like for the first time in, in not there's been times, there's obviously been times throughout the history of the show where, where you've been you know, just down on it or don't really want to watch it or kind of burnt out or whatever reason. But this is about as negative on the entire genre uh, as I think you may have, have, have been in, in years, maybe ever, to be honest. It, it is – and I don't blame you. I'm, I'm kind of the same way as well. There's some stuff that I like, you know, that, that, that has sort of worked for me or that I've liked. But uh, it, it definitely – yeah, it's a weird time right now that we're going through where, you know, obviously we've, we've gotten through the empty arena – era eh, somewhat you know what i mean like there's you know shows with kind of fans there you know you know there's there's you know people clapping sometimes or there's an outdoor show so we're we're getting there we're moving on but it's like i do still feel like in general i I don't know what it is there's just a malaise that's all across the world of wrestling and it doesn't help that like you know our security blanket wrestling promotions you know like new japan who throughout the entire course of this podcast history we could always kind of rely on them to be one thing or be you know or one outlet of okay well there's bullshit everywhere else but ah, at least we have new japan at least tomohiro ishii's doing something or this guy's doing something uh and now unfortunately we've reached a period where they're kind of just weird and odd as well so it's like hard to say you know what the hell's going on anymore but i'm right with you it's 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 a very strange time in wrestling right now this is the least interested and the least interesting that New Japan has been since probably 2010. Because from 2011 on, I've been in on New Japan on a you-cannot-miss-a-show basis, meaning the big shows. And for a lot of those years, every show. You know, can't miss a Corican. Obviously can't miss the big shows. Because I think 2011 was a good year. And then obviously 2012 was the was when Okada broke through. And then ever since then it's been great. 
they've been on one of the all-time greatest runs that you'll ever see a promotion go on in the history of wrestling. I mean, this 2012 to 2019 New Japan run is arguably the greatest run any promotion has ever had. You may differ slightly. You may prefer, you know, the All Japan run in the early 90s, or you may prefer some of the previous New Japan runs, or you may prefer the Attitude Era, or you may prefer whatever the case may be. Uh, Ring of Honor in the mid-aughts. You know, it's up for debate. I'm not sitting here telling you this is without question the greatest run in the history of pro wrestling, but it's certainly in the conversation. Would you agree with that at minimum? I think so, yeah. At least, you know, if if, if you're acting in good faith, you, you should probably be able to address that, yeah, that it is it is one of the best eras in, in pro wrestling history. And even if you completely dislike it, at least the business side also kind of says that too. And and the consensus is that way too. If you, if you were like, ah, I don't think so, Ed, you're, you're definitely against the consensus because I think most of, of the wrestling world or most people that are paying attention uh, would agree. So, yeah, I, I, think, I don't think that's a hot take whatsoever. So I'm not writing a eulogy. I want to make that clear. I'm just saying that right now, What's going on now? And of course, obviously, there's extenuating circumstances. I have not been this disinterested in New Japan since 2010. And I will tell you that if not for this show and if not for and, – and, and I consider this a job. I consider this show and you know what we do, the website, our paywall, I consider it a job. If it were not for this job, I probably <sighs> – I don't know if I could say definitively, but I don't know if I would even bother with the big shows unless I like the lineups right now because that's how disconnected I am from what's happening in New Japan. And I think the last three shows, when you look at uh, the New Japan Cup final and Dominion and Sengoku board, when I look at those three shows, those are e- that's, this is easily the worst run of three shows, three major shows in a row that they've had since 2012. Because even when they have, let's, you know, when they split destruction into three, right? Sometimes those shows will be bad, but never all three. Like, usually at least one of them, sometimes two of them are really good shows. And you get one stinker, right? And it's like, outside of that, like, I can't think of three shows that were this poor. And and this is three in a row now, and I get it. Obviously, the covid has everything to do with this. I'm not – or almost everything to do with this because, okay, even though granted I'm not into the stuff with evil, if they had a full roster, the undercards would be so much better. So most of this can be chalked up to COVID, you know? But it's like because so much of these cards are dependent on the top of the card, if you're not into that, these cards stink. I mean – there's just nothing there, especially if you stack them up against the expected standard of New Japan. Rich, we've talked about it for years. There's a higher bar in this company. There's a higher bar in this company. And two nice little matches that land at three and a half does not cut it for New Japan. This is not Impact Wrestling. This is not your local indie or fucking Noah. New Japan big shows need to knock it out of the park. That's the standard. And not only have these shows not knocked it out of the park, I think two of these shows were flat out bad. And one of them was, you know, okay. Dominion was okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, but, but Sengoku Lord, I thought, was a 
bad show. Yeah, it was not great. No, no, we'll talk about that. And I like, I actually like the matches more than than you did. The two kind of matches that I think we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about most uh, on the show. I liked a little bit better than you, but but still, with that said, yeah, the undercard was just an absolute bore. Um, and even the matches that I quote unquote liked or whatever were still, as you said, and, and, and that's one thing that I think is pretty important to, to, to bring up is that, you know, there was a time where we had the same, you know, a very similar conversation when New Japan broke up, uh, the shows and started main eventing with IC titles. I forget what year they, they officially started doing that. Maybe 2014 or so 2013, 2014, I forget the exact year, uh, when they, when they did that, but we talked about how, oh man, you know, these shows are going to be split up. These, you know, you know, and, and, and that happened. And what would happen is. You know, sometimes you'd have a weekend or, you know, a week where one of the shows was kind of a dud because, you know, the IC title match didn't deliver or it was just kind of a throwaway, you know, IWGP heavyweight title uh, match. So it was kind of like, ah, whatever. But more times than not, if one show was just kind of, ah, whatever or just okay, the other one was really good. You, you know, and there was the, the big time in event was good in at least one of those. And and, and that's why you say that, like, it, it is impossible to find a, a run, I think, in, in, in recent New Japan history where it just feels like things are off. And and it's not, I mean, like, I'll be, you know, you could say, oh, it's just Joe and Rich and they don't like evil and yada, 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 yada. Like, I'm looking at our web traffic, too. People aren't down with New Japan right now. It, it is it is the lowest numbers we're getting on reviews, the lowest numbers we're getting on previews in a long time. So, you know, you could say all you want, but we, we look at the data. We run a wrestling website here. We know when things are hot. We know when things, we talk about the VOW buzzometer or whatever and how we have a pretty good handle on when things are hot and when things are going to be good and when people are watching and what people are watching and all that sort of stuff. And, and I can tell you definitively that, yeah, New Japan is, is it's, cold right now it just is like the 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 interest in in the shows is cold and it's not across the board i mean some stuff in wrestling is still popping big numbers on our site and still doing good stuff right now new japan isn't so whether you want to say hey it's you know joe and rich just don't like this or don't like that it's like ah you know we we you know whether maybe it's us saying that we don't like the stuff that's making people not click our reviews or our previews or whatever but like i don't know it's just it you you can see from those numbers you can see from kind of the general tenor uh, of the company that just something seems off or weird right now and and you know i i, I don't know it is it is definitely a strange time in new japan they're just they they've been old reliable for so long and and some people might think that that's a negative but but for me you know and given where wrestling is everywhere else in the world and where you know major you know american wrestling is or whatever i kind of like the idea that you know once a week or once a month i can plop down watch a 4 hour new japan show and know that i'm getting you know the top you know you know top tier wrestling you know smart based you know storylines that make sense all you know like i kind of like that and i know that some people are like well no it's good get weird get crazy get strange and it's like ah, but i can go see weird crazy and strange elsewhere like, i don't really want weird crazy and strange in my new japan i just want like old reliable which is you know again i i know why some people kind of roll their eyes at that but i mean fuck for nine years it's been that for us so i mean it's just um it, it's a combination of things they're missing half of the roster so the the, the depth is not there so that's hurting the undercards and at the same time, doing what they're doing with their mainline title, which, look, it's very divisive. There's people who like it. There's people who love it. But there, there is a lot of people who, who dislike it and flat out hate it as well. This has been the most divisive title change they've had probably ever uh, during this run. Um, and it's, it's like the, the, the thing about it is it's – Again, it's it's the standard and it's the bar. I mean, you'll have people make the counter argument of, well, I liked the the evil Naito match or the evil Hiromu match, and I thought it was a, a good, solid three and a half star match. And then I'm like, now hold on a second. 
that's not the standard in New Japan. That's a disappointing title match when you're talking about an IWGP heavyweight title match. And I think that's I think for the people who watch New Japan to see great matches, this is this evil thing is just not working for them. I think the only people the evil thing is working for are LIJ fans who are wrapped up in the storyline aspect of it. And that's where you're seeing a lot of a lot of the conflict among fans. But people who, for the reasons you just laid out, who watch New Japan to see really great matches and a place where stuff's going to make sense and, you know, you're going to get some shenanigans when it comes to Bullet Club. And listen, when it comes to Bullet Club, Rich, we were the first people on the planet. 2015, I was saying I was sick of this shit. To get tired of the Bullet Club. <laughs> I wrote it in our New Japan ebook. So, 2015, go find it. Yeah, I know. I love that. Like, no, you didn't care when I was like, no, I did. I was bitching about it in 2015. That it was becoming overrun and, and overdone a little bit in the company. So, But you knew you had to live with it. Yeah. And at sometimes it worked. And sometimes it didn't. You know, when you talk about Jay White's main event stuff, for both of us, he's been very hit or miss. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Some, sometimes we've loved what they've done with Jay White. Sometimes we've hated it and we've complained about it. Um, and what they're doing with Evil is, is similar in some ways to what they did with Jay White. I happen to find Jay White far more credible as a headliner and a main eventer and a future star and more of a star presence than Evil. In fact... Personally, I don't even think it's close. I think Jay White is a legitimate potential pro wrestling superstar if he isn't one already, and he has everything you need that jumps off the page and makes you a money-drawing star. And I think Evil's a mid-card guy, and he has done nothing to change my opinion of that uh, with these listless performances. Um, but you know, but we've been fair all along when it comes to Bullet Club. Rich, we were screaming when Yujiro helped AJ Styles win the title. Did we not? Oh, in that yeah. match where... We, we, we were babies. About that. We were absolute babies. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, we're like, you, like you, you were like, I don't know, Rich. New Japan might suck now. It might be over. Like that, that was you know, the moment that you're having right now at the beginning of the show. I remember yeah. you're like, well, it's all over. I don't know. <laughs> the company sucks because, now. Because like, the last thing we wanted <laughs> right. in a wrestling world where we were given something that fit our sensibilities was a promotion loaded with typical Western bullshit in the main events. And we didn't like seeing the IWGP title change in that manner. Now, Bullet Club became what they were, and you just, like I said, you, you just learned to live with it. And sometimes it worked for the story, and it was good, and sometimes it was shit, and we'd come on here and complain. But nobody can come at us with that argument when it comes to the evil stuff, because we hated Bullet Club before anybody did, or got tired of it, rather, before anybody did. And we shit all over the first IWGP title match that featured that kind of stuff. And since then, it's, it's been kind of a mixed bag. Um you know, the problem with me for these evil main events is they're all identical. They're all exactly the same structure. And he simply isn't compelling. And to this point, he has yet to convince me that he's a legitimate top guy. And he may not be one moving forward. I mean, this could just be a thing where obviously Naito's the next challenger. He could just beat evil. And that could be the end of this phase of this little story. And it could just be one of those deals where you know, he had a short little run for story purposes, and now he's established as maybe a slightly higher tier than he was before. But he's not part of the big four or the big five that we talk about a lot of times when there happens to be five guys that are, you know, the made guys that are in the mix. Because he certainly doesn't feel like he's there now. Right. Does that mean when fans come back, if he gets the right kind of reactions, that I can't change my mind on that? Of course not. Uh, only a fool digs their heels in. 
And I've changed my mind on many things over the years on this show. And if you're listening to shows where people never change their minds, you shouldn't listen to those shows. People should be open-minded to things. And in wrestling, things change. People get over. And, and maybe, you know, when we do get crowds, this – look, and, and I am not even saying that this evil thing is not a success for the company but we don't, because we don't know. Here's what we know about Evil's run so far. We know that it's interesting enough to the, pay, to the, to the paying fan base that they're able to sell the limited tickets. They sell the tickets out every time. 2,200 people to Sengoku Lord. Uh, the Naito match is going to uh, probably sell out. We know that. Does that mean that it would be selling out 6,000, 8,000, 10,000 seat buildings? We don't know. And there's no evidence to make an argument either way. I don't like when people say, oh, well, you know it would be selling out the big buildings. You don't know that. And I don't like when people say, ah, he'd probably be bombing. We don't know that. All we know is that they're selling the tickets that they're able to sell. So – from that standpoint. But is it interesting to me? No, I find this totally uninteresting. I am agnostic on LIJ. I don't even think the story is particularly interesting. Like that's a lot of the counters arguments to evil is, oh, well, this is interesting. Finally, New Japan's doing something other than just next contender. It's interesting. Rich, this is it just me or is this just another one of hundreds of turns that you've seen in your life? What's so interesting about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if you're super, super invested in the LIJ story, but I don't know that there's been enough to really sink your teeth into. Like, I've watched a few of the interviews, and I've watched some of the things, and 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 yeah, I don't I don't know. <laughs> like, it could just be that it's, like, not a story that works for me, but nothing that I've, I've heard from Evil, nothing in the translated promos, nothing in that sort of stuff has made me think, oh, man, what a story. What a great, like, idea that they've got here. Like, and maybe they're just scratching the surface of what that story is going to be, but yeah, at this point, I don't know that it's really done all that much for me to be honest so can i can i double down on shingo uh you're gonna make some folks mad because i don't know he's he's a very divisive man for some reason but yeah go ahead sure but i mean everybody the counter argument to shingo would have been better in the role seems to be well it doesn't always have to be about matches and i completely agree pro wrestling absolutely does not always have to be about match quality that's a, a fact okay i'll take especially if i'm running a promotion the money drawing story over, you know, what might be a better, you know, work rate feud or whatever that doesn't draw as much. Well, I do that every time. You know that, Rich. I always put business first. But I'm not even sure Evil's a better story than Shingo because, okay, Evil was the first guy to join Naito in LIJ, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. But Shingo has the deeper history with Naito. And that, and by the way, that's part of the canon. Because when Shingo joined LIJ, it was because of his training history with Naito going back 15 years ago. And that's part of the canon. That's not just fan canon or stuff that, you know, that was part of the story. That that's why Shingo became a member of LIJ. Because him and Naito go back all these years. He has a deeper and longer relationship with Naito than Evil does. So what makes Evil the better story than Shingo? I've yet to be uh, convinced by any of these arguments. Because... We all agree, or most of us, 99% of us agree that Shingo would be having better main event matches. Most of us agree that Shingo is better suited for the role because we've seen him do it. He's been the leader of, an e- of, of, of heel factions before and drawn money in that role and drawn huge crowds in Dragon Gate as the heel leader of a faction and a heel champion. We know he can work the style with the heavy interference. I mean, that's what Dragon Gate has been built around forever. Okay. We know, you know, we've seen him in the role. We know he can do it. We know he can draw. We know he has better matches. And in my view, he even has the better story. 
than, than evil. So what is evil left with? You've got Lobotomy Man out there who's had the same dumb look on his face since 2016. <laughs> he doesn't show any emotion. He has shitty matches. And he doesn't even have as good of a story as Shingo. So, I mean, now look, you know, maybe, and as I said, maybe this is getting over with the fan base at large and it'll draw money when fans come back and evils it in. And if it is, it is, and that's fine. And, and you know, once again, Gato will be the smartest guy in the room. And, and because I thought it was very interesting when Chris Jericho noted that 18 months ago, Gato told him, that evil was going to get this mega mega push and win the IWGP title like within the next year or so or whatever. Because Gato and Chris Jericho are pals. They go back 30 years or whatever it is. And he told Chris Jericho that, which tells me that this isn't just some wacky thing they're doing during COVID to kill time. No, right. this I, I agree. I, I've always I've always argued with that stance that ah, it's COVID. Yeah. So why not just throw the title on this guy? Like, that's just never how they've ever done anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've always thought ahead, planned ahead, have ideas. Like, I, I, I never for a minute believed that Gato just said, ah, fuck it. I don't know, man. COVID's here. Evil. Take the title. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the, I never, uh, and I, I was interested to see, you know, Jericho say that because it, it, it did give some credence to the idea that maybe Gato hasn't entirely lost his mind or, or that New Japan's entirely lost their mind, that there at least is some plan here and evil's not just the fuck it, why not just give it to evil right now type thing, which, you know, we've heard from some people, ah, oh, there's no fans, so who cares? Just give it to evil. And it's like, oh, okay. But like, that wasn't the case. Yeah. That it, the case. It, it, it's, it's obviously that's the story. And, and, um, you know, you know, keep going because I, I have a thought about the Sengoku Lord and, and a little bit about Hiromu as well. But but finish your, your rant and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk about Hiromu a little bit. Yeah, but I mean, it's like and then from the other perspective, well, evil, you know, was the first member and, and it's more it, it's more painful for him to turn. But an equally good story would be the last guy to join is kind of use them to get his foot in the door. And now he's like, well, fuck you. I don't need you anymore. And then he makes the turn. I just am not compelled by the argument. That evil is like this far superior choice, even from a story standpoint. I think you can make arguments for both, for Shingo or evil from that perspective. But the problem is Shingo gets the check mark next to the box in every other category. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. It's just, you know, am I bringing that up to poke the bear a little? Sure. I mean, we, we do do a show here and we are trying to elicit some reactions. But I do feel that way. I feel like Shingo would have been the better. I can picture him in this role, killing it. As opposed to evil, who's like, Ugh. you know, it's just not working. But, um, you know, so that's that's a big problem right now and why these New Japan shows are just not just they feel off. Obviously, COVID, obviously the clap era. This is bad. I I mean, we talked about it a little, but it's almost worse than not having fans at all. It's weird because you get these spots like Togo with the wire. And because fans can't boo and clapping isn't appropriate they do nothing so we don't know if it's over but it comes across cold yeah it feels like it's dead it feels like the audience yeah. just dies because they don't know what to do <laughs> not, they need like a we need like a, a certain they have to have like thunder sticks or something for for if they're happy and then like i don't know an air horn an air horn that boos right like bells or something if they're not happy like i just want to know you know some sort of something you know they all have like a little lever in front, or like a little like dial in front of their seats 
So you know, go nah, nah, nah. You know, if they're if they're unhappy and you know they pull the dial, yeah. and then like you know the screen turns red or something like that, or there's a little bar that shows you up, oh, up, oh, oh, they're not happy. Because <laughs> you don't know, you don't know if it's indifferent or it's unhappiness. Uh, so it is definitely, yeah, I'm right with you. Like I almost prefer no fans at this point because there are moments and there are times when you hear the crowd and they're fun and they're, they're like, oh yeah, they're kind of back, and then like you know other times you're just like, ah, no, not really. They're just not really back all the way. And it it has definitely led to a very weird experience watching you. Japan whereas you're not getting that like in any other you know and I watched a bunch of other indie wrestling this weekend and I know you did uh, as well but we saw the GCW show and that felt a little bit more organic yeah it's kind of weird that everyone's wearing masks and everyone's kind of far away and they're outside in a pier in New Jersey or whatever a boardwalk in New Jersey I should say but like yeah that felt that felt different and weird but not necessarily like just whatever the hell this New Japan thing is which I don't even I don't even know if I can call it weird anymore it's just uncomfortable or, or, or yeah, I don't know the I don't know the correct terminology, but it's just it's not clicking with me at all. It's, and it's it's it's, it's actually taking away from the yes. Yeah. Oh, it's hundred percent. It's absolutely taken away um from the shows. Uh, particularly when you're trying to run a story like this. And this is a story that seems like it'd be so dependent on the crowd just hating evil and god damn it, how dare you and all that sort of stuff. And you can and, and this actually gets to my point that I was gonna bring up. You know, as you were talking about, you know, Shingo, if he was in a better role uh, for, for this than, than Evil. And, and I don't disagree. If, if if the goal is to let's build up, you know, a Naito versus X feud, a Naito versus some LAJ guy feud, then I think Shingo absolutely 100% is the better guy. But I do think that they're they're in a weird way. And and, and this is, I came I came away from Sangoku Lord thing in this. I watched, you know, he had an interview before uh, the Evil match that was, you know, I, I watched that was all translated and really, really good stuff there. After the match, during the match, whatever you want to say, I came away this entire weekend thinking, God damn, Hiromu Takahashi is so much better than Evil at every part of this entire game. At, at, at you know, conveying a story, in-ring, conveying emotion, conveying whatever, whatever you want to say, Hiromu just blew Evil away. And I also, while I'm you know watching that match and 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 seeing the promos and seeing all this sort of stuff, I'm also coming away with understanding that this this story that you know somebody turns on on Naito and leaves Lij or whatever, that also includes Hiromu. And Hiromu has like an almost an equal amount of of space in the story as Naito. And I think that might change it a little bit if you think about you know Shingo turning on on, on Naito and then the Hiromu Shingo that there's not much of a relationship there. You know what I mean? Like it's it's. I think we're looking at it from the, okay, how does this make a Naito versus X feud better? Whereas I think the idea was just fracturing LIJ in general and also pushing Hiromu up to that top level too, where he's a, a bona fide main eventer. I, well, okay, we're going to get into this when we talk into Sengoku Lord, but Hiromu didn't need this to become a bona fide. I mean, oh, I agree. Oh, I'm with you. Let, let me, let, let's save that because a, a lot of the talk around the main event was, man. This really solidifies Hiromu. This match really showed me. Really, an average match against Evil in front of a crowd that can't cheer is what... Rich, we called this years ago. I didn't need this match to tell me that. That is the most overrated thing about this match, that somehow this match has proven that Hiromu could be a top guy. Rich, we did we not say that two years no, ago? No, I, I think we saw it, and, I, and I'm one of the people that thought... I, I said that after the match, too, that I think it, it, it now... I didn't say that it proved it, but I said it now made it even more obvious than it was before that, like, this is the dude. Like, you watch that match... Because I thought, I thought for whatever you want to say about the match, and I know you and I kind of disagree, you did not like it as much as I did. Not that I, <laughs> I loved it. Um, and not that I completely hated it. Yeah, exactly. We're, we're, we're closer than you think, but we kind of came away... What I came away with that match thinking is not necessarily, wow, evil with another stinker, more so, oh my god, Hiromu is so much better than evil, and Hiromu is so good, is what I can't, I thought, because I thought he was tremendous in this match, I think he did as much as you can, 
to get Evil over and to have a good match with Evil. And I think it speaks to how much I don't think Evil's very good that Hiromu, in I think one of his better like kind of individual performances in a long time, short of like a, a match with, you know, just a crazy high-flying match or whatever, you know what I mean? Like one with an Osprey or a Dragon Lee or something like that. Like as far as like a match that's not like one of those matches for Hiromu, I thought it was because I, I thought he paced the match well. I thought he was the important part of the match. I thought his reactions were, were, were what made the match. I think he, it was, I, I don't want to use the broomstick analogy because that's not really fair and I don't think Evil's that bad but I thought Hiromu was so leaps and bounds better than Evil after this that I was basically led with okay if you guys think that Evil's even close to a main eventer then what does that make Hiromu? Hiromu might be the biggest star this company's ever going to see if, if if that's the level that we're looking at right now and that that's where I came not necessarily that this proves that Hiromu belongs but that it's just like oh dude this guy is so clearly obviously going to be a megastar no matter what they do like it's going to be impossible for them to not you know, go in that direction with him at some point soon, even if he's a junior or, 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 or a heavyweight or whatever. So Rich, we've had one hour conversations on this show over the years of how Hiromu is, has, can be a top guy in the company. And the only question is, do they elevate the juniors or do they move him up? Mm-hmm. We've had that conversation. Or does he times. just transcend it? I I've, I've been on yeah. record saying years ago, that it'll just be like, well, it's just Hiromu. Like we don't, we don't. Yeah, he's a. I don't know. He's a junior. He's a heavyweight. It doesn't matter. It's Hiromu. You don't care. It's like he will be yeah. that guy. I think that doesn't even if he doesn't add like the the customary you know pounds that we you know see the guys like Will Ospreay and, and and all those guys that move up from junior to like. I think he is that guy that transcends the weight divisions. Like there's just it's not going to matter. It's just it's fucking Hiromu. And and we've said this years ago, years ago, years ago. So years yeah, it's ago. like it's not a new it's thing a- for us. But what I did, I thought that this just even more solidified it that he is so so much the man where evil is not. You, you know what I mean? I, I understand exactly what you're saying. For me, I didn't need Hiromu's 40th best match ever to tell me that he could be a top star. I knew that already. This match didn't change my opinion on that positively or negatively. Uh, he was great in the match. And it, it was a good performance. And But it's like, you know, I, we've, been, we've been saying for two years that, that they got to figure out Okay, this guy can be your top star or one of your top stars and a legitimate top guy, main eventer. The question is, how, you know, how do you handle it from the perspective of do we elevate the juniors? Do we move him out of the juniors? Like you're saying, does he just transcend it? That's the only question with Hiromu. There was never any question before this match whether Hiromu could be a top guy. Evil, I have never considered a potential top guy. I mean, I, you know, that that's he's just a guy. He's just a nice guy to have on a roster. He's totally mis miscast right now. Unless the idea is just to tell this one little two month story. But even then I don't like it. It just tarnishes the history of the title to put it on somebody like this. If they don't eventually get over to that level. And you know, every promotion has made that mistake from time to time. What evil feels like to me is like when WWE would like randomly put the title on Jack Swagger or, They'd randomly put it on, you know, Sheamus before he was ready. He's had like 19 brains since then. But you know what I mean? Like it's where WWE just throws something against the wall and it's like, this guy's champion. That's what evil feels like. And like a lot of those guys that WWE attempts to elevate, I'm not feeling it. And it doesn't feel like he's growing while in the role. I always think it's dangerous to expect a wrestler to grow into a role when they're already in it. It's a much safer play to build them up for the role and then put them in it when they're ready. It can work. It's worked at times, but sometimes it doesn't. 
the jury is out on this one. But this match to me did nothing to change my opinion on Hiromu. I'm not more sure of my opinion that he's going to be a, he could be a top guy. I'm not less sure. It's just I already knew. And I mean, this is like the is this one of the 30 best matches of his career? Honestly, if you really think about it, Ooh, All right, let me let me wait. I'm just gonna I'm gonna run over to the old cage match right now. <laughs> let's let see me, where that me, you know. Let me lay it out for you. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Think of, think of all the best of the Super Juniors he's been in, where he's had at minimum five or six great matches in in the in the tournament uh, portion. Then think of the finals he's been in. Then think of his IWGP Junior Title runs and all the title matches he's been in. Then think of like the seven or eight Dragon Lee matches in Mexico and Japan combined that were way better than this match. I don't think it's an unfair question. You know, now I look, it's just a fun thing. I'm not casting any judgment on, on, you know, evil or Hiromu based on that. It's just, it's weird to me that people are like, oh, this guy can be a top guy. And it's like, he went out there and had a, you know, an average match with a ton of shitty interference. And it's like, we already knew he could be a top guy. This isn't even one of the 30 best matches of his life, you know? And it's like, and that's, and as you think about that and research it, that's sort of what I mean when I say, this isn't what new Japan has been. And I can understand why a lot of people are cold on new Japan because people don't watch new Japan for, you know, pretty good main events or average main events or, you know, and stuff that's, you know, the same match over and over three shows in a row. I mean, they watch to see the IWGP title treated with some sort of reverence most of the time, you know, not, you know, uh, and, and, and to see, you know, great IWGP title matches, not little three and a half star matches, you know, it's, it's with, you know, the same Dick Togo finish every time. Yeah. It's just the, the stories matches that, you know, and that we've kind of coined that term here on this, the show over the years, it's is, like, you know, I don't, okay, the stories well, of the Z I, matches where to, it's like, yeah, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's like the, the final point on that is I don't see this as Hiromu lifting evil. I see this as evil dragging Hiromu down. Yeah. That's or or to, to me, like, and, and the way I, and I guess it's, it's how you interpret this match and think like, to me, it was Hiromu just passing evil by just leaping on his shoulders and just going by. I'm, I'm gone. Like, yeah, you may, you won this match. You're, you're still the champion, but like in, in a year's time, it's going to be so clearly obvious that I'm the star and you're, you mean not. in the bigger picture, the bigger right? Exactly. Picture. Right, 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 right. And if that's the case, does this, does this match then serve its purpose? I, you, I guess you can make that argument. My argument is you didn't need this match to create that sure. dynamic. I, I think I, the I think the visual pinfall on on Evil was important. I think there was a lot of stuff in there that again, like I think if you gum from the standpoint okay, of, okay, I think the visual pinfall sucks, and I'm going to tell you why. Yeah, no, that's fine. Because, no, go ahead. Because what? Because th- that even further reinforces the idea that Evil doesn't belong in a spot, even from a kayfabe. Perspective. Oh, I agree. Yeah, 100. percent And that's there's a visual pinfall against a junior. Yeah, my right, my, right. my my argument before the match was that Evil should beat him clean in the middle. Because Hiromu would lose nothing. He would lose nothing. He st- he's still going to be a future star, right, and a future top guy. But that goes a long way to establishing evil and even putting more heat on him, right? This just it, – it, it, this whole idea like he's a fraudulent champion. This isn't fucking 1987 WWE. I'm not, you know, a lot of people don't want this. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. No, that's the, I think the story they're telling is, like you're saying, that Evil's kind of this undeserving geek champion. He's, he's the fucking Miz, you know, in 2010 or, you know, Rey Mysterio exactly. when he won the title and just never, ever beat anybody. And that's, I, I, I that's kind of, unfortunately, what we're doing here is, is that it's like, yeah, Hiromu is better than Evil. That This match proved that 
it's countless times, but I don't like that story. And, and that's the argument that I have with a lot of people of, oh, this is a good story. This is the, it's a story. They're telling stories. It's interesting. It's a story. And I'm like, yes, this story kind of stinks, though. The story is that evil's an undeserving champion, that Hiromu could have and should have beat him, that if it wasn't for Dick Togo, evil wouldn't have this title and stuff. And, like, you can love – you can want that out of your – you can say that's a great story. I – tend to think that's a shit story. I think that's a terrible story, and I don't go to New Japan to watch stories like that. I don't want... I want my IWGP Heavyweight Champion to be the most deserving guy and the top star in the company. And that's what we said, you know, uh, weeks ago, ago when, when the Evil thing happened, is that I wasn't happy with Evil being the champion, because at no point did I think Evil is one of the top guys in the company or a top star in the company or anything like that. And, you know, you can bring up Jay White, you can bring up other guys, but but... Every most other champions, except for I think I brought up Nakanishi in like 2008 or whatever, was the last time I really felt like the IWGP heavyweight champion wasn't the top guy in the company or one of the top guys in the company. And 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 I get that with Evil right now. And honestly, that's the story they're telling you too. And I think that's a pretty shitty story. Is that Evil sucks and he needs Dick Togo to help him win? Hundred yeah. percent, like full full stop. It's not even that like he you know he uses him for shortcuts. Like he straight up needs this guy to help him win. And that, I don't love that story, because it's a shitty story. And, and like you said, I can go watch WWE if I want to watch undeserving champions, you know, get conned, uh, you know, or con their way into winning titles. Like, that that shit doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, yeah. And that that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, some people are into it. It's very divisive, though. There's a lot of people who think who look at it like we do. Um, but, the, 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 but then compounding the problem is because of COVID and the roster, the rest of the company is totally uninteresting right now as well. I mean, um, you know, the last two shows and, and, and look, and, and these matches, you know, it's like, you know, the shingle match at both dominion and Sengoku Lord was better received or more well received than the IWGP title match. And it's like, um, again, that's not what new Japan has been. It's, it's been pretty reliable. Not every show, obviously, but, you know, your IWGP title match, your main event, is uh, more often than not going to be the best match and a match with the best buzz. So it's a big – it's just a change in the way they're doing things. And, and you know, a lot of times people don't like change, um, especially at the top of the card. And there's just no depth. I mean, you look at this Sengoku Lord and you had the Shingo match against Despi, which, again, that wasn't – that was like Shingo's least interesting match in, in ages. I mean, the show matches blew that match away. Um, you know, and we're in an era where there's new Japan shows where there's just no great matches anymore. And, and it's weird. And the depth has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, so, you know, Sengoku Lord to me was so boring top to bottom. And if you approach it from the perspective that I don't like the evil stuff, you can easily understand where I'm coming from. Sure. It was a, it was a nothing undercard with a main event that I hated. And a shingle match that kind of underdelivered. It was a good match, but you know, not to the usual shingo standard. Yeah, I think Okada uh, sleepwalking through a Yudro match too was 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 pretty terrible. Garbage. Yeah, garbage. Just terrible. Yeah. Um, and the undercard was just boring. It's a bunch of two star matches. You well, know? so it's like, <laughs> and this this brings up something I wanted to talk about. Are you are you done? Because I wanted to bring up something real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, as well. Okay. Um, so we're going to talk about the, the, the KOPW 2020 thing or whatever here in a little bit before we're going to talk about Sengoku lore. We're going to talk about that. But one of the big issues right now in New Japan as, as well is, I mean, what are we doing with these titles? Like, why are we not stripping, you know, Rapungi 3K of the title? Like, I, I, we, I think you and I would both agree 
that if there was just a junior tag title match on the show, and and I know that they're missing guys, I know that it's not the perfect roster, but I don't fucking care. Watto and Taguchi, I, I, who fucking care? You know what I mean? Like something, whatever. Pick two juniors and have them win the goddamn titles. Like I think that would add so much because juice to these undercards. Because if your main event is going to be these sort of kind of slogs, and all your other guys are just going to kind of sleepwalk through shit or, or or give half efforts because they're they're missing top guys, or they 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 think it's all kind of whatever. Then you need to do something more than just random ass six man and ten man tags, or you know Taiji Ishimori getting bored in, in in a young line match or whatever. But like. So let's add some juice here. You got all these fucking titles, and they're not using any of them. They're not utilizing any of them. Like, why are we? Why are we not crowning new junior tag team champions? Why are we just uh, uh, completely ignoring the open weight, you know, six man tags, which were our stupid title anyway, but could be useful in times like this? Like, why the U.S. heavyweight title? Why don't we just say sorry, Mox? Like, you know, we're stripping you. You can get it back whenever. Like, they have resources to like add. I think a little bit of energy to these shows, and they're just proving they're they're just choosing to fill them out with random ten man and six mans that don't matter, and then you know. Top of the card's not delivering either, so yeah, it leads to these just mundane-ass shows. Yeah, and I mean, do tag team title matches on every big show. Why was there not an IWGP t- yeah, t- right, tag I team title match? Just do it, you know, add some juice to these shows. I mean, well, they're, they're, and these shows this, are so dry. Yeah, and there's this thing that, like, and, and again, like, I'm on record saying that I would have been perfectly fine if Naito was just defending these titles against Challenger of the Months or whatever. It's it fine with me. But you want to tell the story of the evil, fine, whatever. But, like, there's no reason you can't, like, put these junior tag team titles on anybody. Fucking, like I said, Watto and Taguchi. Watto and, and, like, whatever. I don't care. Put them on whoever. IWGP tag team titles. Have Watto and, and, and Tenzan fight the Dangerous Stackers. I don't care. The match is, what I, like, whatever. It doesn't matter. We're in a weird time we're in a very strange time or whatever and if the same thing is going to hold that oh well it doesn't matter you can put evil as a champion because no one's going to be you know the shows are going to sell it anyway and it doesn't matter well then at the same time you can just have random tag challengers you can just have random tag team cha- like you know I'm, I'm not saying just throw them on anybody you can tell a story with it but to just say ah whatever we're not gonna have junior tag team titles right now who cares it's like oh jesus like you need something to prop up these these things and instead deciding you know we'll talk about this kopw thing it's just so bizarre to me i don't understand yo's not coming back guys like what do you is fucking knee is, is ruined like he's not coming back right now moxley's not coming to japan anytime soon you know <laughs> evil's not going back in lij like these titles there's no need to have these titles just fucking sit around doing nothing when you have these undercards that are just dull and, and mundane and boring i just don't get it i mean you know there's no reason not to have taguchi and two of his pals you know face some you know a team of bullet club guys or whoever right <laughs> to, to, to form new six-man champions and no it's not a great title and no one cares about it but it comes real it comes in handy in a time like this just to be fourth from the top on these shows instead of random six-man that no one cares about with minimal effort which is what we're getting um which is really dragging these shows down especially if you're not into the main event and let's face it even if you like these main events there's still not a lot of meat on the bones of these shows okay you get your main event, you get your Shingo never match, and then it's usually a pile of shit. I mean, these shows have not been good. You know, it's you know, it's people trying to fool themselves into the, these are good shows. They're not. There's no depth at all, and and they're not helping themselves with the depth. Uh, like you say, I mean, yeah, your limited roster. You could do something with those junior titles. I mean, you know, put them on Kanemaru and Despi and. Like you said, give Watu a part or whatever, something, you know, it, it, but to just have them be stagnant, all of these belts, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's, it's a weird, weird time. And then, you know, Okada 
the the Corican shows. Now look, the Corican lineups have been bad, and now look, a big reason for that is look, there's nine Corican shows on this tour, and the Corican shows are really just because they're not going on their regular tour stops, right? So they're I mean, just exactly. using. The... It'd be like your loop. It'd be like if if yeah. if you looked at a WWE loop from you know March of 1987. Yeah, the, you know the Peoria show and the quads. You know the the the, the show in, in Bettendorf, Iowa, or whatever, gonna look exactly the same. Like it's whatever. You know. Yeah, so it's so it's not really that big a deal, except that the Corican shows happen to air on New Japan. They're airing, and yeah, so we we see them, we look at them, and we go, "Oh dear God, like what the hell are these shows?" But they put muscle behind the one that's coming up. uh, Maybe tomorrow, by the time we're recording this, my people, maybe people are listening to that. That's the one with uh, you know Suzuki and and Nagata on the main event. That one is clearly like the show, the highlight show of the entire thing. But then the rest of the shows are yeah, road two shows or house shows, you know, just touring the cities. And good for them doing that, yeah. you know, because the first two were like identical cards with minimal changes. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that. Do some elimination matches. Get creative. Um, there's just no creativity. And look, there, I'm, I'm sick of hearing about the COVID excuse. Every other promotion in the world is in the same boat and other promotions are getting creative. And New Japan hasn't to this point. But they're doing Nagata Suzuki and fair play to them. Thank God they're giving that show a little juice. And then they have Okada roll out this KOPW thing, which uh, is allegedly is Okada, was Okada's brainchild, and it's modeled after the uh, Progress Proteus title, which it immediately reminded me of uh, the night of the announcement. First thing I had tweeted out was, I guess we have an IWGP Proteus title now, you know, with the idea being the champion picks the stipulation. In this case, it's the fans that pick the stipulation, but it's the same idea. And now we're hearing that, like, you know, that was, you know, Will Ospreay suggested that to Okada, you know, after seeing the Progress Proteus title. So it all makes sense uh, if that was indeed the case. But um, and then and that'll spice up some of these Corkins, too, because they're going to run that tournament on the Corkins, if I'm understanding right. So but I guess we could transition into that title itself. This is wacky. And <laughs> I, I don't know if it's going to be good. I don't know if it's going to be bad. We'll have to wait and see. It could be good. Um, I don't know. You know, New Japan usually doesn't handle stipulations all that great. Um, But because it's just not what they do. It's not in their blood. But it could be good. The thing is, it just doesn't feel like a fit. That's the problem. And with the rest of the company and the current kind of malaise that they're in, it's it's another thing that's like uncertain and weird and, yeah. and doesn't you know and 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 it might be you know it might turn out to be good anything to juice these cards up you know I'm willing to give a shot but my god did that announcement just kind of fall flat like yeah. everything else is falling it's, flat in this company these days. the the word that I, I come up with or the thing I think of the most is it just and and I don't know if this isn't necessarily fair or whatever it just it feels like unprofessional. It doesn't feel prestigious, and that's for the longest time. New Japan has done a great job, I think, in 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 the you know the Bushi Road era of feeling like they are prestigious, that they are you know this top tier company, the model that everybody kind of follows, the model you know promotion in Japan, you know you know all that sort of stuff. The the thing that people in America can point to and go, yeah, that's wrestling the way it should be. You know you know like you know and and this just kind of feels gimmicky, and it's like this doesn't feel like it behooves. New Japan, like it just doesn't feel like that's what they are anymore. 
it feels like they kind of grew out of that and, and should have kind of grown out of that. And now they're right back there. And I, I guess I get the juice argument. I get the idea of trying to spice things up or whatever. But, like, I don't know. It just seems too much. It just it, it, it's, it's strange. It's gimmicky. It's weird. And, and like you said, New Japan has never done a very good job uh, with stipulations like that o- over their history, too. It's not even in the Bushiroad era. Just, like, in their history, they've done a pretty good, bad job of it. Uh, and this one in particular just feels, yeah, it just feels clunky and weird. And it just doesn't. It doesn't feel New Japan. It doesn't feel like what this company is and, and, and has been. Is that fair to say? I just I hope it's good. I, I, I you know, it could be good. I don't know. Um, he mentioned three different kinds of matches specifically. He mentioned cage match, best of three falls, and ladder. And they've done ladder, you know, the Elgin match and all that. Um, you know, and, and those are pretty basic stipulations. I don't think you're gonna get, you know, crazy off the wall shit. Um you know, so maybe they'll be good. I, you know, you know, well, it's it. I think it keeps Okada busy and out of the top mix because he has to be out of the top mix if they're going to build this whole Lij mm-hmm. divorce thing. Um, so you got to keep Okada out of it. So that question was answered at Sengoku Lord. He beat Yujiro with relative ease, but then he didn't come out and challenge. They had Naito come out and challenge, which, um, you know, keeps that within the Lij, the top of the card, which is fine. But then you got to give Okada something to do. So this is kind of the idea to keep him busy, you know, while G1's not going on. And um, But, th- th- you know, th- this is something that they plan to keep around moving forward. You know, they'll do this tournament, and then the winner will kind of defend this trophy. I don't think it's a title belt. It's it's not. Yeah, I, I have the whole do – you want, do you want to read the entire sort of – Yeah, I guess go ahead. So some thing. people we assume people hear stuff, but – a lot of times people are hearing stuff from us. Yes, so absolutely. Go ahead. It was great. We, we appreciate that. But uh, All right, so the title is being called the KOPW Championship. Uh, there will not be a physical belt uh, for the champion to hold, and the title re- will reset at the end of every year as far as who the champion is. So whoever goes into the, cha- the title at the end of the year, that's it. Title's done and vacated, and then it's the KOP, you know, W 2021 title, and it's brand new and a new tournament and all that sort of stuff. So uh, the inaugural KOPW champion will be decided after matches are held on August 26th at Corican Hall, and the finals will take place at the Jingu Stadium show, uh, which we'll talk about here in a bit because there's some other fun stuff on that show as well. Uh, eight wrestlers are going to compete in four singles matches on that 826 Cork and Hall show. Uh, for the first round, each wrestler will decide their own match rules, which can be two out of three falls, ladder, steel cage, etc. Uh, fans will be the deciding factor on which wrestler stipulations stand. Okay? So each wrestler says, I want this. I, you know, So it's not like, like you said, if it's exploding anal death match or whatever, and then ladder match, and the fans vote ladder, then it's a ladder match. You, you know what I mean? Like, hey, so hey, listen. They better vote exploding. Okada's like, look, right, hey, the fans spoke. Who, let's do it. Who would who would pick ladder match? I agree. I'm, I'm 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 at this point. You know, fuck it. Let's do it. If if things are gonna get weird, let's get fucking weird. You know. Yeah. If wrestling's gonna stink, then let's you know let's. Well, the well these this little tournament here is almost look. This is a lock to be more interesting than whatever they were gonna do on these Corkins otherwise, because. Really, Rich, all we're asking for are some matches with some stakes. That's really all we want. You know, it, it, we don't care what the stakes are. Like, we were just advocating for the never six-man titles right. to <laughs> right. come back. Right. I just want to watch a match and care about it. And the problem with New Japan lately has been I've been watching a whole lot of matches that I just don't care about. You know? So the tournament's good from that perspective. And maybe it'll be wacky and a lot of fun. Um. And maybe it'll suck so bad that it's a lot of fun. 
The problem is if it's just average. That's what you don't want. You either want it to be great and this cool new thing, or you want it to be so bad that we can come on the show every week and just rip it apart and have a lot of fun with it. But, um, you know, so we'll see. And then, you know, it resets every year. And, you know, from what I understand, we've heard other details that I'm not going to repeat because I don't know if they're true. Yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't we couldn't completely validate them. So, yeah, or validate and them, if, I say. And, if, and in the old days, we might say, hey, here's this other stuff that we heard. And we're not reporting it as fact, but someone who knew about all of this before, basically someone who knew about this KOPW thing before it was announced had a bunch of other details for us. But I'm not going to talk about them because what happens is then someone posted on Reddit. Yeah, well, backslash R, backslash squared circle starts firing up the old takes. (laughs) Saying that we reported as fact. And then what happens is the news sites pick up, pick it up off Reddit, and then WrestleZone and fucking WrestleScoops and all this shit say that Joe Lanz and Rich Crate said that all of these things are going to be and, – and so now, unfortunately, this is the problem we always run into. We're too small to be big, but we're too big to be small. So we can't just flippantly put out stuff that we heard. Even when we put out the disclaimer of this is just some unsubstantiated stuff that we heard, people still turn around and report it. Because they won't, they won't listen and they don't put the link in there. They just say, Voices of Wrestling said this. And everybody goes, those yeah. idiots, they don't know anything. <laughs> They're stupid. I hate them. I can't. Why are you posting them? You know, it just goes in the sickle. And like you said, it gets a lot of votes and it gets a lot of reactions and all that sort of stuff. So then, yeah, scoopswrestle.net or whatever picks it up and, and says, Voices of Wrestling reports that... Uh, anybody who wins a KOPW, yada, yada, yada. And it's like, oh, God right, damn right, it. Right. <laughs> Jesus. Now we have to play like, defense hey. for an entire day and say, no, it's not what we said. No, we didn't say that. So, you know, yeah. Sean Rassaf's so, got the time to sit out there all day and tell people, no, that's not what I said. Listen to the show. I don't, though. Yeah. I got a job to be at. So that's... Yeah, and I'm just not interested in it. And then right. it hurts your reputation and everything else needlessly. But what I will say as a generality is we've heard some additional details about this thing that New Japan hasn't announced yet that really give me cause for concern. And I know that people are going to, you know, hear that and call it a dick tease and it might end up on Reddit anyway, but I just, I'm hoping, and I don't even know if you agree, but this, the other stuff that we've heard about mm-hmm. this thing is very concerning. Now, I don't, I don't like those. If this is just some bullshit thing to get us through a, a, a weird bad time, then I'm fine with it. If it's a thing that becomes like, you know, what, you know, a, a major part of, of stories moving forward, then yeah, I'm definitely. Uh... Well, I think that, I think it's going to be that. I mean, they, this isn't just a COVID thing. This is a thing they're going to do every year and it's going to be considered an important title for lack of a better term, but there's those other details surrounding it and how they came up with the idea and who, who you know, and who, uh, is a proponent, the people that are proponents of it. And you know what? And it's like, that's very concerning for the future direction of the company. And quite honestly, all of that stuff lines up with what's going on in the company right now in terms of how they're presenting their main events and the type of people that they're pushing and everything else. So some of my concern and disinterest in new Japan right now may be influenced by a lot of things that we just haven't verified that we can't talk about that. And maybe that's clouding some of my views on things. I don't know. I'm just not optimistic or just, I'm just not that into new Japan right now, you know, to the, you know, I haven't felt this way where I feel like new Japan isn't essential since 
easily ten, for the last decade. 2010, after, like I said at the top. She's just not interested in what they're doing right now. And maybe they'll, they'll you know, bring me back in. It's only going to take one great show. It's only going to take one great show. But it's my general malaise of all pro wrestling. Dynamite fucking stunk last night. And that's been reliable for the last couple months. And even that was bad. And then WWE is a fucking dumpster fire. And, you know, even some of these indie shows we're going to talk about, I suspect you like them more than I did. I have a lot of problems with Game Changer. You know, that's just not my cup of tea. It's just wrestling's not very good right now. And yeah, COVID has a lot to do with it. But it is what it is. I mean, I think we got to stop blaming COVID for everything and stop giving people passes for COVID. This is the reality. This is the new reality right now. And, you know, it's it's there's there's challenges. And I don't know, man. New Japan had months and months and months to sit on the sideline and observe. And they have not handled this well. They have not. No, I think that that's the biggest takeaway. You know, we, we're you know as as we're kind of getting through Sengoku Lore, that's done. We're moving our way through. You know, the the summer struggle and whatnot. It it, it ultimately feels like, and we said at the time, the best idea ever from New Japan is just to chill out, let everybody else go nuts, and try stuff out, and do weird stuff, and 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 have their empty arena shows, and figure out how they're gonna you know navigate this new world in New Japan when they're ready to come back, when they know that they're ready and confident, they'll come back and they'll be the the leader in the in the in the clubhouse again, and and show everybody how it's done and all. It's Sort of stuff, and they've come back, and they don't fucking have any clue what they're doing. It's like you know they're 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 caught, you know with you know caught with half the roster. Oh, what do we do now? Oh crap, what do we do? Oh, we don't have these titles. We don't have that title. We can't run this tournament. You know this guy versus this guy. We got. It's just yeah, it's wild. It's just like you know for a company that that feels Figure like they're out. Yeah, like for a company that always felt like they were always you know, two or three steps ahead, they're just kind of fluttering. And it's not its not just the evil thing. Like, like honestly, the biggest argument that I have, and, and it's what you said as well, even if I knew the evil things were going to suck, at least I could say, hey, you know what? Hot little junior tag match on the undercard. Let's go. Like, but no, I don't know that. Well, let me have... be, listen, let me be clear. The evil thing is the one thing with a direction. Yeah, right, right. I, yeah, like, put, set aside how I feel about it. That at least has a direction. It's the rest of the company that feels rudderless, like it has no direction. And like they got caught with their pants down and don't know what to do. And they've, they've got everything else in a holding pattern. The evil thing at least has a direction and is very clearly well thought out. That is not part of that, this part of the discussion. Um, but I mean, you know, just these stagnant titles and, you know, Okada fucking off with Yujiro and, and, um, you know, it just it feels like a mess. But um, should we do the whole? You know, I guess we should do the Sengoku Lord. I show, guess. Right? I mean, I, I, uh, <laughs> is I there anything more to say? To say? Like, I mean, it's. I mean, the show just. I, I mean, what do you want me to say? It was just a dull show. It's one of the worst shows they put on. I don't think we have to waste our time last... to be honest. We we talked about Shingo and Desperado. How it didn't quite meet our expectations. We talked about Evil and Hiromu. I I don't know. There's there's much else to talk about on the show. To be honest. I mean, I guess. Look, we got to do it. So, um, quick thoughts. We don't have to go super detailed. We talked about Evil Hiromu. Now, look. I, I, okay. No. Well, here's the thing. Like, I don't think Evil Hiromu is like worst match of the year or anything. I am just tired of Evil having the same match on every show. I don't like the match. And it's the same match every time. There's no reason to pay attention to anything until Dick Togo gets involved. And then, you know, it's the same formula. I thought Hiromu was great in the match. I thought Evil, I don't know. He was a Look, there was a sequence in the match that I loved. Okay? Let me be positive for a second. The Where he was doing the dollar store Brock Lesnar routine with the German suplexes on Hiromu's neck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tremendous sequence. That sequence ruled. Outside of that, this was a nothing match. It's the same match Evil's been having every night. Hiromu was great in it. 
upon my first watch, I fucking hated this match. I wanted to just bury it under the sea. Yeah, you were a big because... rugby pants that morning too, though. So that's that's fair. It, th- because of this match. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> and, and, and because the show stunk, I sat through this boring-ass fucking show, and then I get this bullshit in the main event, and I wasn't a bad mood. So on first watch, I hated the match. And then I saw a lot of other people hated the match, but I saw a lot of people were like, oh, it was great. And I'm like, I genuinely, it, it upset me that people were calling it great because I'm sitting here going, what the fuck did you, what, what was great about this? It was an average match with a garbage finish. So I forced myself to immediately watch it again and pay super close attention to everything, right? And I did, and I liked it a little better on the rewatch. I went from a two I went from two stars to three on the rewatch. I thought it was a below average match the first time I watched it, disgusted. And then I watched it again. I said, you know what? That's not a below average match. That's not fair. This was an above average match. I'm going to throw three stars on it. But then I changed my rating again because ratings are super important, Rich, and the people need to hear this. I changed my dopey rating a second time, and I docked it a quarter star for all the Dick Togo bullshit and the nonsense at the finish because I thought to myself, wait a minute. I can't – It was that shit is so bad that I can't not dock for that. So my final rating for Evil Hiromu was two and three-quarter stars, which – you know, granted, is lower than the consensus, but I think that's going to happen when you're, A, not into the story, and B, just hate the finish with the passion of a thousand burning suns. So that's where I am on the match. Hiromu was great. Take nothing away from him. Evil evil and the match structure dragged Hiromu down to what I think isn't even one of the 30 or 40 best matches of his career. It's a, you know, from that perspective, if you're looking to get a great match out of Hiromu, you got to look elsewhere. Um, you know, the story, your mileage may vary. And we spent enough time on that already. Rich, Absolutely. what did you think? What did you think of the match itself? So I liked it a little bit more than you. I, I can't say that I'm going to go any, I, I think I'm at about a 3.5 on it. Um, it, it ratings wise, because I, you know, I would watch it live and, and very rarely do I get to watch unspoiled live new Japan, but I happen to wake up pretty early on that day. And I, I, I pop on a new Japan world and I'm always, I'm always fearful too. Cause I know you've been in this situation before too. And this happens to me a lot where I wake up and I go, Oh man. Yeah. Right. Uh, whatever's on today. And I go to new Japan world. I click the play button and there's like, you know, kind of holding up a title and I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I came to right at the finish. So I had to like, you know, jump in without going on Twitter or anything and go into our, you know, our, our, our you know, staff slack and say what matches have been on so far. And then the, you know, people tell me nothing's about this worse, match. Nothing, nothing's worse than hit and play on that live feed. And like you're saying, like yeah. the, the winner Fucking is rainmaker. His- Boom. One, two, three. You're like, Oh, or, or even worse. The guy's standing there sweaty, giving his speech. Right. Yeah. Right. I get so many of those. I get so many of those. Yeah. I've got a wiping sweat from his brow, you know, yeah, holding, yeah. holding the towel. And I'm like, ah, oh, God damn it. And then I got it. Like, it's not the worst part about that is I I'm so I'm already spoiled. I already know who won the match, but then I can't watch the match right away either. Cause I got to wait for new yeah. Japan then to put the VOD up. So it's like, yeah. it's like, then I don't even want to watch it anymore. Cause I'm like, I already know what that, so that happens to me all the time. So this is one of the rare matches that I was able to watch from beginning to end. I basically got in right at uh, Okada and Yudro right at the beginning of that match and was able to watch everything else unspoiled. So that I think helped a little bit and it helped with the main event too, because I did for whatever reason, whether I got kind of caught up in the story or whatever, I bit on a few of the near falls. There was a few of the near falls where I said, Oh my God, they're going to do it. I can't believe they're going to do it. And then something would happen. I'm stunned. I'm stunned. 
I didn't think for a second Hiromu would ever, which is why I didn't bite on anything. But I get it because I've gotten wrapped up in matches before. Yeah, I, I can't really explain why because I, I, know, I know in my heart of hearts there's no fucking way. TikTok was going to do something, but for whatever reason in my brain, my brain just kind of got excited. I got kind of caught up in it a little bit. So there were some near falls. And I got caught up in the story of Hiromu. Like, I, like again, I, I'll reiterate what I said at the beginning. Like, I thought Hiromu was so fucking good in this match that basically I forgot that Evil wasn't even in this. And I was just cheering for Hiromu to beat this guy and send him back to the mid card and become the new, you know, double champion or whatever. Because that's how invested I was in, in, in kind of the story of Hiromu and the, and the rise of Hiromu and all that sort of stuff. So that's why I bit into it. And that's kind of why I, I, I got excited about it. But with that said, like, yeah, there a lot of the match. It was 33 minutes, which, again, if we're going to do this evil bullshit... Let's just let's fucking condense it to fifteen minutes, guys. Let's Can we do, do this in eighteen minutes? I mean, like, for real. If, if we're just gonna wait for Dick Togo to walk out, then like <laughs> you know, and and that's what it is, and and we're just gonna wait for Ishimori to run down or the next Bullet Club guy to run down, and then wait for nobody to come out from Lij or whatever. Which again, we'll we'll talk about in a bit. Which you know, I know is part of the story or yada yada. I think it's a bad part of the story, but whatever. If that's the story, that's what it is. So it, it just we're, I'm sitting there and then I kind of get glassy eyed when I'm just watching Hiromu get his ass kicked by three Bullet Club guys and and fucking Groot. Wires, and I'm like, what the fuck is this oh, shit? It just, like... it just it loses you instantly. Like it just for me, it just I'm, I, it loses me instantly. Right. I just I have no interest. And in that. and that's where I dock it. And that that's where the stuff kind of gets on me. Where it's just like, all right, whatever. Like you know, there was the the one where you know Dick Togo pulls Red Shoes out of the ring. You know, with, with at the two point nine count or whatever, I thought that was done pretty well while I was watching it live and and, and kind of getting enthralled with the story. Uh, and then I realized, yeah, Dick Togo's there, right? Yeah, of course. And then, it, like from that moment forward, I just kind of. But yeah, there's so much in this match that didn't excite me, which is why I can't really put it above like a three and a half. But the stuff that I did excite me, and and I thought Hiromu's individual performance is so good that yeah, I can't go like below. I I, I couldn't really. You know, go below three because I like Toromo so much in it. But I, I, I have no, I have no issue with you because I, if you don't buy into those near falls and if you're not bought in to any of those, then yeah, this match offered absolutely nothing to you basically because the work itself was, wasn't tremendous at all at any point. The, well, yeah, the, 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 that one sequence though, I really thought was great with the German suplexes. That was a great sequence. Upon rewatch, I and I'm glad I rewatched the match because that sequence did not resonate with me the first time through because. I'm coming in grumpy, let's be honest, because I know what I'm going to get with Evil, and I'm probably fucking off on my phone. But that sequence really resonated with me on the rewatch. It really was a great sequence, because the whole story with the neck. Um, Because he had said he was going to break his neck before the match. So, you know, that was good. But the other problem I have with Evil, he just doesn't emote. I mean, and I get that's his his character, but it's also a a bad character. (laughs) It's a bad character. I'm sorry. It's like, that's, that's the thing that I keep getting a lot, you know, and and we we have this argument all the time with, with with wrestling fans. We're like, oh, that's the story. Well, okay, yeah, but the story sucks. Like, you know, it's like the idea that you, well, that's his character. Well, that's his persona. Well, that's the story. I don't care that that's the story or whatever. Like, it's a shitty story. That's you know? a good pers- Well, that's a good persona for the third guy in a unit. The stoic. I I mean business. I'm not gonna fucking cut fiery promos. Like that is fine. But he's in a different role now, and. Just changing his gear and, you know, putting some purple and letting his hair down, that's not cutting it. I mean, you got to, you know, that's not, it hasn't been enough. You know, I want to cut off that dopey hair. Don't even get me started on his haircut. But it's like, that's, it's, it's not enough. It's like, he's got to change everything if, if the idea is to be a top guy. I mean, he just doesn't emote. I mean, he just has the same look on his face for years. The look on his face is, I just farted, but don't want to get blamed for the fart. That's the look he has on his face. And he's had that look on his face since 2016. And 
he just, it just, you know, he doesn't, there's, he doesn't come across any different now than he did when he was in LIJ, other than the gear that he's wearing. So that's a big problem in these matches too. You know, Hiromu is out there, you know, uh, emoting and 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 selling his ass off, and he looks, you know, it, it's just. It's like you alluded to earlier. There's just such a difference in quality between the two wrestlers, and that you can't really. And the thing about Evil is, I don't even think he's like a terrible wrestler. But when you're in this role, this right, is big right, boy this time. is big boy. This is yeah, big boy. Get your this big is... boy pants on, buddy. <laughs> like this is you know, let's go. But now let's... I'm going to be super critical on all of these things that I might not be as critical on when you're in a never title match or if you're in some fucking six man in the beginning of the card. But this is big boy territory, and you're going to get judged like a big boy. You're getting judged. Like Naito and Okada and yeah, Tanahashi. Just fine or adequate isn't going to do it, pal. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. So now look, now he's only had, you know, one title defense. If you want to give him the benefit of the doubt, he might even lose the damn thing in his next match. But, you know, it's like, should you give someone time? Of course. I mean, you know, maybe he develops into the role and a year from now we're raving about him. And once again, we're saying how brilliant that Gato is, who he had the foresight to go with someone because when has Gato ever gone with someone and it didn't work? Right. I know. So it's, it's like, you got to give, if you give anyone the benefit of the doubt, it's that guy. And if he said 18 months ago, he was going to do this. That means he was planning on it before then and building to this. And you know, if the guy has never had a miss, why would I think he, you know, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe this won't miss either. So we had Shingo and Desperado. You know, I'm not dumping on that match. It just look, it was a good match. I, you know, I'd go three and a half, three and three quarters, or something. But um, I just have a higher bar for Shingo, especially since I love Despy. I really was thinking that they were just gonna go out there and, and kill it. It didn't really happen. They told a nice little story with Shingo's leg, and I will say this about Shingo: for all the talk that nobody in Dragon Gate sells. This guy was selling that leg on both Cork and shows. <laughs> <I know. laughs> on both Cork and shows, he was still selling that leg. How great is this guy? I'm tired of, of picking on shit. How great is Shingo? Yeah, and then does a promo after the uh, the main event and says, well, Hiroma told us not to run out. That's why he didn't run out, to kind of cover for why nobody came out, even though nobody exactly. else can say this. Sonata can't get off his ass and say that's why he didn't come out, but Shingo can well, right out, flat out say, well, the reason we didn't come out is because, you know, he told us not to. So. Well, the guy was in Dragon Gate for 10 years where story is everything, and every story they tell makes precise sense. And long term. He's coming from a promotion where shit that they do matters eight years later. Guys that feud with each other still hate each other when they're in the same unit a decade later. Yeah, so side eyes. Side eyes are plenty, which is awesome. I love yeah, that and, 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 and like they won't team with each other or whatever the fuck. <laughs> right. Like, it, like that, he comes from an environment where the story is everything and the story matters. So, of course, he's going to be a guy to get out in front of it and think to himself, okay, I have to make this make some sense logically or people aren't going to believe in my character anymore. So he gets out there and says, Hiromu didn't want us out there. Right, because so it makes him look him. like a geek. It makes, you know, guys like Sonata who never cover, never say anything about that. And and I don't know if that was, the, again, if that was the plan or if that was what everybody was going to say. I know Hiromu kind of said that afterwards too, which again, I have no issue with. They they addressed it. Like in the moment I had an issue with it, but they addressed it. But I love that Shingo says, well, hey, look, I would have been out there, but he told me not to go out. Like, boom. That's all I need out of it. That's all I need is Shingo saying, hey, look, I'd go out and kick those Bullet Club guys' asses. Fuck those guys. But he told me not to, so I didn't come out. Like, perfect. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. That's what I love in wrestling. Like, that guy saying, well, hey, I would have whooped the shit out of those guys, but I was told not to, so I stayed out of it. You know? Yeah. Fine. <laughs> like, so, uh, good on Shingo. Uh, yeah, yeah. But 
What did you think of the match? Uh, you know, fine. It, 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 I, I came in with pretty high expectations. You know, I called it the real main event as I was kind of live tweeting or whatever. And it was good, but it wasn't like, yeah, I, I'm expecting this just absolute banger. This just unbelievable match. And it, you know, Shingo took his head off a few times and Desperado took some good bumps. But yeah, ultimately, I don't know. The, the match, it just didn't seem like it ever got into the next gear. So I'm, I'm probably about three and a half with this one as well, which is, is super disappointing given, you know, um, the expectations I had going in. So. The thing is, on a typical New Japan show, if there's a three and a half star never match, you know, surrounded by your typical four and a half star main event and two other bangers on the undercard somewhere, you don't really, it doesn't stick out. Like, oh, this was another match on a really good show. The problem is, this was the best match on the show. So it really stands out that it was a letdown. Like, right. this can't be the best match on a show. And neither can Evil Hiromu, even if you liked it, because they're not. Typically, these are not matches that are good enough to be the best match on a New Japan show. And how many New Japan shows in history have had shows where two matches of this quality were the were not only the two best matches on the show, but the only two matches that were worth a shit on the entire show? The answer is never. This is why I'm so down on Sengoku Lord and Dominion and the New Japan Cup Final. Three straight shows. Rich... Do you remember the days when a typical New Japan big show was a banger, like junior tag title match, you know, three and a half stars or whatever opener, high, high energy, you know, then some tags that mean nothing. And then everything after intermission fucking crushed. Yeah, the next four matches were awesome. <laughs> right. Do you remember those days? Oh, I do. And, and they were fucking great. And you'd look forward to it and, and everything else. Crazy days. Crazy days, Rich. They're long gone. They're long gone. That's why I say these three shows. I'm not compa- I'm not going, oh, well, you know, they're facing issues. No. Everyone's facing issues. These are just not been enjoyable shows. I don't care the reason. I can acknowledge the reason without being like, you know, without – I'm not grading on a curve is what I'm trying to say. Should I be? Am I wrong? Tell me. I'm willing to listen. I'm talking to you, not the listeners. Am I Is grading on a curve like the wrong – No, not at all. Take? I mean – I, I mean, the correct – should I be grading on a curve is what I'm saying? I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't liked these shows. They just they, – there's nothing on them. Oh, anyway. I, I, did a, I did a bad thing where I went and looked at old New Japan shows. And, oh, it's, it's disgusting. <laughs> I'm just going to yeah. close out. It's so bad. Summer, they're so good. Oh, god damn it. Oh, man. So here, just a random – like, there, there's some that, like, are, are more of recent vintage. I'm trying to go back to some other ones. So Dominion in uh, 2015. Uh, Dominion 2015. There's a dark match. Doesn't that dark match? You know, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, opener is the uh, Bucks Rapungi Vice Red Dragon, which I'm sure was yeah, fine. You know what I mean? Like every, you know, we talked every, about it every I single. I don't remember that specific one, but every one of those matches is like really good. Yeah. Uh, then we had Naito and Hanma versus the Bullet Club. Uh, Bad luck, Folly Yujiro. That's uh, that didn't sound very good. So that, but that's all right. Uh, then we had Shibata versus Sakuraba, which I don't know if you remember. But that one was actually good. It was like one of the awesome Sakuraba matches. All right. Uh, then we had Kushida and Kenny Omega, junior heavyweight title. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then we had never open weight, Makabe versus Ishii. Yep, yep. Uh, then we had just some random IWGP title match, with, uh, the Kingdom. <laughs> Gals and Anderson, not great, but hey, that's fine. Uh, Tanahashi and Toru Yano, not great. And then we had Goto and Nakamura for the IC title, and then Okada versus AJ Styles in the main event. So you've got like four or five really good <laughs> matches right. minimum. So if we so go they, by, you know, wrestling observer ratings, which again I know aren't aren't, but we have one, two, 
three, four, four plus star matches, and then uh, a three and three quarter, a three and three quarter, a three and a half. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And now we're getting shows with like two little three and a half star matches, and people are getting mad at me because I say the shows aren't good. I mean, you know, it's 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 the standard. I mean, yeah. and even by and even by any standard, these aren't good shows. There's not a promotion in the world that would put up shows of the quality of New Japan Cup Final, Dominion, and Sengoku Lord where people would be saying they were good shows. There just isn't because they, 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 there's no depth in the, and the top matches aren't good enough. Okay, so now we move on. We had uh, Okada versus Yujiro. And uh, look, there's a nothing match. Okada's just going through the motions. I have a theory on Okada. Do you want to hear it? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. Do you remember the last uh, like two, three years ago uh, I would always write both in the book, which are still on sale on Amazon, by the way, New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, Year in Review books. In the books, on this podcast, in my reviews, I would often write that unlike a lot of the other big stars in New Japan, Kazuchika Okada was a very good tag wrestler because no matter what the match or where on the card, he would always work really hard, whether it was tag matches, six-man tags, and obviously his singles matches. And it was because he was like 26 years old and was still full of piss and vinegar and his body hadn't broken down yet. So he's going out there and, and, and working like a maniac, no matter the situation. I feel like those days are over. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's at a bad neck. His injuries are piling up. He's wrestled a bunch of You're hard depressing me. You're depressing style. me now. Stop. And, and I feel like he's now reached the point that Tanahashi and Naito and others have been at for, for years now in that he's not going to push himself in tag team matches anymore. He's not going to push himself when he's wrestling Yujiro. Mm-hmm. He's not going to push himself in New Japan Cup matches in empty fucking buildings with no fans. He's just at that point now. He's T-shirt Naito. Naito wrestles these tags in his T-shirt. He didn't give a flying fuck. The only times are when LIJ and Chaos were having those really good six bands. Remember that a couple of years ago? Uh, you know, those he tried. Other than that, and I can't blame him, Naito has no knees. It's cartilage on cartilage. Tanahashi, when has he ever given a fuck about tag matches until the Ibushi thing? That was always his biggest critique. He just mails it in in the tag matches. Makabe, we all know his story. The guy doesn't even take bumps. <laughs> he doesn't tag anymore. He doesn't even bother. Sometimes he doesn't There was a while where he wouldn't tag. bump, and now he just doesn't tag <laughs> just... Yeah, there's matches now where he doesn't even tag in. Which I, I appreciate. That's some real... That's some real solid, just like fucking, do you guys have fun? I'm good. I'll be here. So what show? Well, I'm never going to remember it, but that one show where he got in a brawl with someone on the other team and they just like, <laughs> hugged, they just hugged each other on the railing for the whole match <laughs> and he never tagged in. It's fucking brilliant, you know, but I'm saying, I think Okada has reached the, I am not trying unless I'm in a main event stage of his career. And yes, it is a little sad. But I think that's what's happening. Because you look at this uh, Yujiro match. Now, look, what are you going to do with a Yujiro? And that's an exact quote from a wrestler who used to be in New Japan. But, <laughs> but, but, but what are you going to do? Can we, put him, can we launch into the fucking moon, man? I, if, if Yujiro never came back, I would never fucking care. You know what I mean? If they just said yeah. Yujiro's gone to his home planet and, and he won't be back, I'd just be like, all right, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I would never think of that guy again until we had to write his profile in the New Japan ebook, And then I would never remember him ever again after that. So... Yeah, so it's like, what are you going to do with a Yujiro? I get it, but it's like, he knows that too. And this is another match. It's rich, a two-star two match. He went out there and uh, sold for a little while. and then. But what I did like was the finish. He puts the fucking choke on, but then he says, no, no, no. 
Then he gives a tombstone to the guy and then puts the choke on again to say, fuck this guy. He's firmly in the rear view. Yeah, I, I love that. The camel clutch just like, get out of my fucking ring, you geek. <laughs> like, there's yeah. no better way to say it, which is. But I mean, this can't. But look, listen, this is your third from the top match in current New Japan. It's ugly, Rich. Yeah. That's yeah. It's that's what you're saying. I'm, I'm reading these other things, and it's like these great junior heavyweight tag matches, or it's fucking you know Naito versus whoever. It's you know a big time match with Shibata, and now it's like you know the third from the top is Okada just playing with a literally wrestling with a, a, a stick figure and just beating him in 18 minutes with a camel clutch or whatever. So yeah. So we have Tanahashi, Ibushi, Tenzan, and Wato. Tenzan is now pals with Wato along with Nagata. Give them the I do you know give them the tag team title shot. You know what I mean? Have have the fucking Bullet Club versus those guys. Who cares? Right. Fine. He could do something. I mean, it, it's better than this that we're about to talk about. Um, versus, you know, the five Suzuki gun guys. And this was just to heat up, continue to heat up Nagata Suzuki. I get it. Uh, it's a nothing match. We I slapped each other. Left. That was fun. I like the slaps. Yeah, That's it. I have nothing to add. And, um, you know, everyone's ironically into Wato. And that's cool because at least, like, I'm not ironically into Wato. I kind of think he stinks, if I'm being honest. But. At least it's something else for people to be interested in on these shows because, you know, a new guy and all that. So that's from that perspective. Um, so we have Bushi, Sonata, and Naito uh, against uh, Goto, Sho, and Yoshihashi. Um, <sighs> do you have anything to add? I mean, no, I just added a yawn there. It's a fucking two star. I'm yawning just it. thinking about that. That was a shoot yawn, too. Uh, yeah. Um, this undercard was rough, Rich. It's so hard <laughs> it was to watch. Because you know, the thing is, you know, you're not getting that payoff at the end. You know, that's the big problem with it. <laughs> I watched this in reverse because um, I watched those top three matches live and then went back, and I was just like, oh, God damn it! Like, not yeah, the greatest way to spend a Saturday. I will tell you that. So, so Taguchi, Kojima, and Makabe against Ishii, Yano, and Gabriel Kidd. They're doing this thing where Makabe and Gabriel Kidd are like embroiled in a feud. Yeah, which I like. I, that's pretty solid. Do something. I'm okay with yeah, it. anything. Like we're literally, our our motto is just fucking do something. Is is basically where we're at these days. So, so if you can do Makabe against a young lion, why can't you do other little things like that on the undercard to give it a little juice? I don't get it. And why hasn't you know is Makabe Gabriel Kid going to be booked at some point? I really hope so. They seem to be building towards it. So um, and why can't something like this be a match for to just the decision match for the never six man titles? Just give it some juice. Right. We'd probably have some things to say about it if that's the direction. But they just, they, you know. And then uh, Ishimori versus uh, Yuya Uemura. Um, this was a singles win for Ishimori to set him up for the junior title uh, match that he's going to have with Hiromu coming up. So, um, which is fine. I mean, there's not a lot of challengers around because of the roster. I have no problem with an Ishimori Hiromu program. And, I believe they're working Hiromu's injury. I don't know how you feel about that. Um, and because I think his injury is a work, I think there's a real good chance Ishimori wins the title and that we get an extended program between these two. Yeah, that, that's that's a pretty good theory. Um, just because at this point, I think it's clear that Hiromu needs to move on to bigger and better things at this point. So, Which I thought a long time ago as well. Like I don't, I don't think he needed this current title run that he's on or whatever. But if you want to reestablish him or whatever, I get it. Come back from injury. But I'm kind of with you, too. I, I, I don't know that I would say it's a work, but I think... I, I don't know. I don't know definitively if it is or not, but I do think that with this match coming up, 
Uh, the time is now to, to have Ishimura win that. It adds a little bit more heat to the LIJ Bullet Club thing. Ishimura, I think, can do a lot more with that title right now, and then it elevates Hiromu up to, to another level. So, yeah, I think it, it's, it makes all the sense in the world that that's the direction to go. I just think if the injury is a work, that's a tip-off, that because that gives Hiromu an out when he loses. Sure, right, right. And, like, and you know, again, oh, <laughs> we will say that I have to remind people about this, particularly with uh, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, is that... Uh, Pro wrestling is the uh, art of faking that you're hurt if you're not actually hurt. There's been many times throughout the history of that company uh, that that's we, we we usually actually around this time of year every single uh, you know we we have to say this with you know Hiroshi Tanahashi comes into every G1 with ah you know my elbow or ah yeah. my ankle or ah my shoulder and then you know for three weeks everybody pounds on their you know Tanahashi's shoulder ankle or elbow or whatever and people go oh my god I can't believe Tanahashi's working with a hurt elbow oh it's taped up too oh man and now Zack Sabre is putting it the taped up elbow in submission holds oh god that's not safe and it's like he's wrestling like yeah he's like the smartest wrestler of all time (laughs) And he's giving his matches instant fucking uh, uh, psychology. <laughs> but you know? it's a reminder every single year when I see people go like, oh, this is ridiculous. I can't believe Tadahashi's even in this. They shouldn't let him wrestle. <laughs> it's like he's fine. When in reality, it's probably some other part of his body that's legitimate. Yes, exactly. That's the, the, the classic The classic way to sell is say, yeah, my left knee, it hurts, even though your right knee is the one that's fucked. You know what I mean? So, Right. Um but that was Sengoku Lord. I, I cannot fathom how anyone thinks that was a good show. Yeah. No. Look at that show. The fuck? I mean, that was like, I don't know. Why belabor the point? Yeah. But um, the uh, we talked about the uh, King of Pro Wrestling gimmick. Did I, I had another point to make on New Japan, and I can't remember it, but it was probably – very negative. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, well actually, one, one <laughs> thing real quick before we move on from the KOPW. Uh, we did, I think I did forget to mention this part, too, for people that do not know all about uh, what's going on. So we said that, you know, it's going to be on the 26th on Korokin. They're going to do that little tournament here. What's going to happen, though, is the winner of those four matches are going to have a four-way match, which is a little right. icky, uh, at the Jingu Stadium show. Uh, it'll be under what they call, quote, traditional four-way match rules in the first-ever crown uh, the first ever champion will be crowned. So there'll be gimmicks, gimmicks, gimmicks uh, for the tournament. But then the match, the, the the final match itself will just be a, quote, traditional four-way match. So. Well, Okada explained that the four-way in itself is a stipulation. Yes. This is just so... <laughs> so... Like, it's, it's not confusing. It's convoluted. That's the word. It's just convoluted there's just a lot going yeah, it on it feels like like a, a, a built like a, a jim hurd era like wcw thing where like jim ross yeah. gotta be like all right well the rules are simple for this and he's like you know he explains it and for, then they're not simple <laughs> at all explains it for yeah, 20 minutes <laughs> or gary michael capetta's got a oh the rules for the battle bowl right. <laughs> eight yeah. card participants will pick a <laughs> out of random that those five participants will face off in a battle royal that the battle royal winner will move to ring number one <laughs> it's like this doesn't sound very easy it, you know like, that they would always say that. That's the best part about any of those era things. Jim Ross, like, well, very simple to follow. It's like, you know, the screen just yeah. fills with rules. And you're like, that's not easy, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I look, I hope this thing is good. I, I'm going to reserve judgment. I, I got to say the announcement was kind of silly and came off flat. Um, it's just uh, New Japan really needs an injection of excitement. And evil's not the guy to do it. So something has to inject this company with some life. And maybe Okada's dopey little tournament will be the thing to do that. Um, you know, uh, we'll find out. Uh, Rich, 
we're going to move on from New Japan. We spent a lot of time on New Japan. Um, what was our next scheduled topic? Because I have to be honest. I think I have a topic for you. Uh-oh. Uh, well, the next schedule was supposed to be the uh, little bit of WWE. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I have a topic for you, my okay. friend. Yes. I have to wait for this ad to play. Yeah, that's Hold fine. On. That's fine. What a surprise. I have no idea what you have in store for me right here, but I will wait patiently. That's right, Rich. We're here to play a game, one that you were totally not prepared for. Normally we play what brands he play for, but that's not what we're playing today. I was trying to think of why you would be playing that game right now, but oh dear God, what are we playing? You know, with the COVID era, a lot of promotions have been shut down. And as those promotions have been shut down, they've sort of been out of sight and out of mind. So today we're going to play a game, and it's called Who's the Champ? As I present you title belts, and Rich tries to remember, who is the champ? Uh Uh-oh. Rich, are you ready to play? (laughs) No, I am not. Who's the champ? I am not. I did not agree to this. Our first title. Are you ready, Rich? I did not give consent to this whatsoever, but yeah, go ahead. Rich, who are the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions? Oh, God. Is it A? <laughs> okay, oh, multiple choice. Good. Okay, glad. Oh, you, 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 you always get multiple choice. I always feel like I don't, but yeah, I always do. I know, I know. I always freak out thinking I will not get multiple choice, but I always do, so I appreciate that. Okay. Is it A, Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham? Is it B, Party Marty Skrull? And Brody King, or is it C, Dunn and Marcos, the Ring Crew Express? <laughs> I think I could definitively uh, remove C from that list, uh, unless Ring of Honor got real weird before COVID. Um, I believe, unfortunately, it is B, Party Marty and uh, and Brody King. So your answer is B, Marty Skrull and Brody King. Yes. The Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions are Jay Lethal Hmm. and Jonathan Gresham. That's better, I guess, for them. (laughs) Okay, we're all for one, but we're getting loose. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. We're getting loose. Rich, who is the progress champion? (laughs) Is it A, Paul Robinson, B, Walter, or C, Cara Noir? Ooh, I do know. I think I know this one. I believe it is C. Cara Noir. C. Cara Noir. I think they won the. Yeah, they won. Uh, Cara Noir won the title right before uh, COVID, if I remember correctly. May have switched since then, but that's my answer. So. Ding 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 there ding ding. There we go. Yeah, I remember that. That was like like late February, right? There was like not much time in between that title win, and uh, you know, the thing. Good job out of you. Good job out of you. All right, there we go. We're going to move on to number three. This one's a little trickier, Rich. Let's see if you remember who the Shimmer champion was before the shutdown. (laughs) I don't know if I knew who the Shimmer champion was at any point in the last decade, but yeah, sure, go ahead. All right. Was it A, Kimberly, B, Nicole Savoy, or C, Ivalice? 
Alright, I think the safe answer usually is going to be Nicole Savoy. I was actually going to say Nicole Savoy before you gave any of the uh, uh, multiple choice. So I'm going to go, uh, final answer, B, Nicole Savoy. Is the music coming through okay? It is. It is. It sounds fantastic. <laughs> really? Sorry, sir. The current Shimmer Champion was A, Kimberly. <laughs> Why? Kimberly. We got a couple more. We got a couple more, so uh, this one, I, I have faith in you. Rich, who is the MLW national champion? Is it A, Flyin' Brian Pillman Jr., B, Low Key, or C, Hammerstone? Okay, so I, I think I know this one because I'm a big fan. Uh, enjoyed his matches in, in the last year. Oh, look at It's my main man, Alexander Hammerstone. I think he's the only champion ever, right? Isn't he the inaugural champion? He's it, right? <laughs> he's the only one that's ever won it, right? Now, this is perfect because I have one more left, and you're two for two. Oh, man. And for the final question, Rich, we have to switch up the music. Oh, no. <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> Here's the new music. All right. Who are the NXT UK tag team? <laughs> God damn it. Is it Mark and Joe Coffee? Is it Mark Coffee and Wolfgang? Or is it Joe Coffee and Wolfgang? Oh my God. <laughs> Unholy name are these teams. Oh, God. Which pair of Gallus? <laughs> Why are there so many Gallus champions? Have multiple members of Gallus won the title, the tag team titles, or is there only one? Enjoy the music while you think. Okay. Oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, can you... Uh, I hate to do this to our, our listeners and make them listen to this song more. Uh, can you give me the choices once more? Sure. Okay. So they're all they're all three Gallus teams, correct? Correct. All right. Are the NXT UK Tag Team Champions <laughs> A, Mark, Coffee, and Joe Coffee? Mark, okay, Mark and Joe, okay. B, Mark Coffee and Wolfgang, or C, Joe Coffee and Wolfgang. Okay, so I think Joe Coffee's like he's a little bit of level. Well, mm. <laughs> I hope it's not Wolfgang because uh, he's he's canceled, right? Um, I'm gonna go. With Joe and Mark, which I think it was A. Wasn't that A? That was A. That was A. I'm going to go with Joe and Mark Coffee as the Gallus You're team. going with the Coffee Brothers. Yes. The canceled one and the non-canceled one. <laughs> oh, I forgot the multiple ones are canceled. I'm thinking in like, well, geez, I hope it's not Wolfgang because he's canceled. Which which of the coffees got canceled? Joe. Okay, Joe got canceled. Okay. Um, the pushed one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, All that's right. my final answer. Mark Mark and Joe, the coffees. Okay. We're gonna enjoy this jam for a couple more seconds. <laughs> Admit that you miss it, Rich. I kinda do now that I think about it. It's like it's it's fun bad, but I, I came to I came to love it. So, you know, and I came to love Gallus. I came to love NXT UK in general, so I, I do miss it a little bit. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm sorry, Rich. The NXT UK Tag Team Champions are Gallus, Mark Coffee, and Wolfgang. 
I kind of was hoping it was Joe Coffee and Wolfgang just cancel, like the real cancel culture. <laughs> yeah. Those two guys I come got... out and... Uh... Correct, but it was the incorrect answer. Damn. It is uh, Mark Coffee and Wolfgang. Uh, also, one man canceled and one man not canceled. Unfortunately, Rich, uh, in this week's game, you had two correct and three incorrect. But I want to thank you for playing as close. always. Yeah, thank you. That, it, was, it was a fun game as always. So thank I you. I have to admit it was a very tough game. I think I would have lost this game this week with all of these dead promotions that aren't running during COVID. Some tricky questions. The Kimberly one, really. Yeah, that one shook me. So, But you gave it a good go. Unfortunately, you win nothing. Mm. What are they going to do with those NXT UK titles? Like, what are they going to do with NXT UK? Like, at some point, it's going to have to, like, kind of come back, right? Who's yeah, on the roster? I, Who's left? That's I mean, not canceled. Like, they, uh... Cause it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty messy there in the old uh, United Kingdom, so... They moved... Um, hold on, let me get my notes... I don't know if you saw this, Rich, but they have moved Ridge Holland to NXT proper. Oh. So there's one move. There's one move. Um, I would suspect that they're going to – I don't know how they got him over here. That's another question that needs to be answered. <laughs> but um, I suspect they're going to move yeah, the right. ones that yeah, aren't – That's weird how that happened. All right, whatever. The ones that aren't canceled and have any value will probably be moved to NXT proper. And then you can build NXT UK around you-know-who. Joseph Connors, not canceled. <laughs> right? So I was gonna say, <laughs> I'm trying to think because yeah, Sid Scala gone, right? Johnny Saint is fine because he's too old and and weird. So skids. I, listen, there's a lot of canceled ones that haven't officially been fired yet, like Sid Scala, Joe Coffey, the Wolfgang, um, Devlin. If you want to throw him mm-hmm. in there, I think they're kind of waiting out Devlin because they like him. I think he's gonna skate. Um, because all they fired was Banks and Leggero. Mm-hmm. I, mi- I might be missing one more. But, um, uh, well, Jack Gallagher was a 205 Live guy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's not a ton of meat left on those bones. I think they should just, you know, Trent Seven and Tyler Bate have, like, sketchy accusations. And yeah, really yeah, yeah. It, it, it did, did Dunn – Dunn was able to kind of survive, right? Dunn got – no, Dunn's clean. Dunn's clean. Good for him. Dunn, no accusations. Um, seven lawyered up. Um, uh, bait his are like, I don't know. People know he has some scattered ones. It's I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. But I tell you who has no accusations: Joseph Connors. <laughs> Joseph Connors. <laughs> you getting more Joe Connors? Okay, that's a guarantee. Um, you lost at the game though, unfortunately. Yeah. Well. Um, good luck next time. I will once again do it in like six weeks when you're not expecting it. But, um, look, anytime you can listen to the Gallus theme, it's a good day. I do. I, you know, I actually do miss that song a lot now that I hear it. Um, (laughs) it makes no sense. It makes no sense for those guys too. like anybody listening to this that has never watched NXT UK assumes that this is like a biker gang. You know what I mean? Like guys that come out on like motorcycles or wearing leather or whatever. No, they're like Scottish dudes. (laughs) Like, you know, it's impossible to try to explain what Gallus is or why that's their song. But, uh. I do appreciate the Gala song a little bit. So I, I especially yeah. love those episodes like a year ago where like literally just played. They may as well have just played the Gallus theme over the entire episode because there was so you, much Gallus. You can't picture these three guys kicking in the door of a pub 
and walking in while that song plays? Not really. No one. I won't deny that it's a great. It's a. It's a pretty. It's a solid. It's a solid jam. It's not a bad jam. So I. I can't deny that. So. The problem is that song instantly means the show you're watching is going to get a lot worse. <laughs> right. That instantly means bad that's, wrestlers are coming into the match. Right. So. That's the problem with the Gallus theme song. So more than the more than the song itself, it means a really bad Joe coffee match is about to take place. And, and that's really uh, what it comes down to with the Gallus. Um, what do we got next, Rich? Let's talk about WWE. Uh, their second quarter, uh, the quarter where they had to fire everybody because, God damn it, they just had to. That's just the way the wrestling business is going, that you just got to fire people. Uh, turns out that uh, year-to-date, revenues reached a record uh, fifty-one or four, $514.4 million year-to-date, representing a 14% growth uh, from the prior year. So they're doing better than ever, actually. So, yeah. Good for them. Shocker. <laughs> it's Shocker. Stunned. Stunned. I can't believe now uh, after hearing that it's just it's just something you got to do. Business is business, you know. Yes, we're the only rep- wrestling promotion that's fired anybody, but, res- you know, it is what it is. And, well, they're actually making more money than they've ever made, so. Do you remember Bubba Starling? I do remember Bubba Starling. First round draft pick. Yeah, Royals. yeah, yeah. So, um, I saw him uh, playing the minors a lot because he played in King County, which is the uh, ballpark near uh, me, so. Played in the minors for a long yes, time. Yes, I saw a lot of Bubba Star. I remember there was one year where I went and I said, "Oh boy, still an A ball. That's not good. <laughs> Can't be good." So, uh, out of out of options, so he's on the team this year. The thirty man rosters, uh, bases clearing, uh, bases loaded, double. Good there for Bubba go. Star. Yeah, good for him. Just give the Royals the lead as you get your live baseball update here. Um, yeah, so you know, yeah, WWE. Uh, did you did you uh, want to bring up that they're now doing stock buybacks because they're doing so well, and uh, in this environment that their 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 profits have exceeded expectations to such a degree, they're now doing stock buybacks. But yes, as Rich point as, as uh, Rich pointed out, they did in fact have to lay off all of that staff to survive, as Triple H put it. What were Triple H's exact words? Uh, his exact words, uh, actually, I think I have it. One, one moment here. Let's uh, let me get it. Just so, I, just so Mr. Paul Levesque, it's you know, I don't misquote uh, yes. one Paul Levesque uh, quote. Yeah, don't, don't misquote the game. No, this, uh, is, <laughs> this is the man, Paul Levesque. Uh, quote: No one wants to see anybody lose their job, especially in the world right now. But a lot of companies around the world are having to make tough business decisions in this moment, uh, in time to ensure that they are still there. To ensure that they are still there. Yeah, that would be. Still here, they they had to do it, Rich, to to exist, to exist. They had to make these moves. Also, One completely unrelated that, uh, quote. <laughs> let me let me read from the uh, the WWE yeah. uh, uh, COVID actions and business outlook section of their uh, their quarterly report today. Uh, quote: Due to COVID nineteen and related government mandated impacts on WWE, the company continued its various short term cost reductions and cash flow improvement actions. Uh, these actions contributed to WWE's enhanced li- li- liquidity. Uh, which reached four five hundred and forty eight million dollars in cash and short term investments as of June thirtieth, twenty twenty. That's pretty good. A little bit more than what's in your bank account, I'm assuming. Uh, the yes. company is continuing to adapt its business to the changing environment with a focus on enhancing production of content and furthering fan engagement. Uh, management may resume its opportunistic acquisition of stock under the company's five hundred dollar million or five hundred million dollar share repurchase program, subject to WWE's business outlook and liquidity, as well as other share repurchases compare favorably to other capital allocation alternatives. So management may buy their stocks back. Yes. Which they stopped doing for a while, but now because they have so much money, 
yes. on hand, they can start doing again. So much more money than they were expecting. <laughs> While, by the way, keep in mind, during the period of time we're talking about, they were still paying all the people they laid off. Yeah, that so, hasn't even hit yet. Yeah, most of, most of the layoffs haven't even hit yet. None of those savings have hit the bottom line yet. They were still paying all of these people while exceeding all of their projections. And their, uh, obviously, because of the television deals, their revenues and profits from, la- from year over year. So is this, Rich, the biggest victory lap in the history of the flagship podcast? It might be, yeah. The idea that, like, another thing, too. They, they, they quadrupled their profits from last year's quarter. Quadrupled. Why, and keep in mind. While paying all the people they cut because that hasn't kicked in yet. Right. Quadrupled. Exactly like we said would happen. Except more. Yeah, we more than wrong. anybody thought they were going to make. We thought they'd come out ahead. They came out so much far ahead than anybody yes. thought. It's just unbelievable. And I'm going to tell you why. And Brandon Howard Thurston was on top of this weeks ago, but Dave Meltzer caught up today. Because none of us factored in the savings for running all of the TV out of the performance center. And because of that, the mass tapings, doing it all in a location that they own, not traveling around the country. No house shows, which, again, I'm on year three of saying I can't believe they're still running those things. But, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to kick that to you because I know that's your area. I was going to get to that. So so hold that thought. But because they're running TV in one central location and saving all that money, they've made more money than we all thought they were going to make when we already thought they were going to have record profits despite the pandemic which is astounding and without any of the savings from the cuts, which are not coming until the next report. And they've also, which you've been pounding home for years. And now I'm going to hand you the floor. Cause I know this is your baby. It turns out that there is even more evidence that house shows are bad. Go. Yeah. So, so, you know, we, we can, you know, look at overall, like the revenues declined in their, in terms of their live event revenues, right on its face, whatever revenues declined to only a million dollars, from $48 million prior year quarter due to the absence of live events and all that sort of stuff. So that makes, okay, that's a drop, but that's only live events. That, that's that category. That's ticket sales, live event sales, all that sort of stuff. But as you see from the other things, like, you know, e-commerce, they were able to get a huge spike in terms of people buying merchandise on online, buying on WWEshop.com, uh, obviously the TV deals, obviously saving monies on, on, on the, you know, running the events. Uh, we've always talked about human capital of house shows as well. I mean, it's 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 so blatant and so obvious at this point now that I'm I'm convinced I'm convinced that when they when when things come back to normal that house shows will never come back again in this company. There's just no sense. There's no point in doing them. They, they've the been lost point. leaders for years, yep. and I'd argue they're not even a leader. They're just lost. They're just straight lost at this point. And I can't imagine in 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 that business room with Vince McMahon or or you know any of these stockholders or anybody thinking about this would say, yeah, we need to go back on the road. We need to be spending on these production costs and these travel and all this sort of stuff. There's just no reason to do it anymore. There's no reason. Getting people work. Yeah. Reps. Um, that'd be like one reason, I guess, to give people reps. Um, the other one is, I guess, if you really caught fire with the next Stone Cold Steve Austin, you'd want to go back on the road because then they make money again. If you're going to sell out right, these right, basketball right. arenas, that'd be another reason to do it. But they don't have – they're going on the road and drawing you know, 3,000 people. I mean it's just a waste of time. Uh, the only benefit they're getting now is just giving people reps. And if you have the performance center, doesn't that serve that purpose? I mean I know it's not working in front of fans and it's not ideal. But you have your Largo loop, which you know gets those reps to the young wrestlers who need it. You know, there's an argument for does Randy Orton really need the reps? I mean, 
you know, when you talk about the main roster, if they're if the house shows aren't making money, then really what purpose are they serving? Um, the, yeah, re- the real, is, real quickly, is, is what he is. I mean, you're not yeah. who on the main roster needs the reps. You know, is is Ricochet going to improve? Uh, you know, is is forty three year old Randy Orton going to improve? Is you know, it's it's. So what's the point? Go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to read some of these numbers here because that shows how like substantial the savings were. So operating income was fifty five point seven million dollars in this quarter, as compared to seventeen point one million in the prior year quarter, primarily due to a decline in operating expenses that reflected lower content related production and event costs, short term cost reductions implemented, yada yada yada. So all that sort of stuff. So firing people and not doing live event shows made their operating income go from seventeen million in the prior year quarter to fifty five point seven million. They're done. They're done. Yeah. You're never doing those again. I mean, it's it's really amplifying. I mean, it's one of the things that's helping them make more money than ever during the pandemic, which is astounding. Right. So again, when well, we were arguing with these up. dopes that were saying, oh, because the WrestleMania, because they can't run the house shows, that's why they got to fire people. No, they're making more money than ever. They this, don't is have to leave. this is basic business. Everybody's <laughs> doing it. What people in their own industry aren't doing it? What are you talking about? <laughs> Nobody's doing. Oh my god! You know? Yeah, think of how think of the savings that they've had. Just fucking, they plop up that entrance way. They plop up those cameras, and those things never move. There's no trucks. There's no travel. There's no plane tickets. There's nothing. And network subs are up because people have nothing to do locked in their house. The network subs went up for the first time in ages. On this report today, I don't know if you caught that. So. COVID is helping them make more money. You know, forget just the TV deals. Like, COVID is helping them profit. With the lack of the traveling television show and the increase in network subs, it's crazy. But Triple H is out here telling – oh, I'm sorry, Paul Levesque. Yeah, Paul Levesque, yeah. Is out here telling people, ah, you know, it's so we can survive and be here in a year. It's fucking lunacy. And Monday Night Messiah is saying it's just business. Everyone, it's how you have to survive in these tough times. <laughs> yeah, that feckless dork. coward. Yeah, dork. He wouldn't talk to us anymore when he, he didn't think I'd bite back. But um, yeah, this is the biggest victory lap of all time. The thing is, Rich, all those people who were harassing us daily about this seem to have disappeared. Where Ghosts. are they? Are yeah. you listening? You listening? How come you don't add us anymore with your uh, with your ill informed theories of why this had to be done? Where are you? Where are you? They always disappear, Rich. They always disappear. Um, what's next? I'm tired. Yeah, that's of shit. it. Well, congratulations to uh, World Wrestling to Entertainment us. for making a shit ton of money. Congratulations. So, congrats to us for being right. Yes. Like usual. Well, as always, we're always right. That's right. People should catch up at this point. All right. So we've talked about a lot of wrestling we haven't enjoyed. Joe, let's talk about wrestling that you did enjoy. Jeremy Wyatt, Fred Yehi, Iron Man match, St. Louis Anarchy, uh, Journey Pro, uh, Patreon subscribers, you, they can read your review right now. We have it up there uh, with the Joe Tackles' YouTube queue. We have a link to the playlist as well so you can find the match, uh, read your review at the same time. Uh, but the floor is yours. I've watched this match as well, so I can chime in a little bit, but you fucking love this match, and this is everything you wanted out of wrestling that you're not getting right now in a lot of places. Is that correct? This is the best match I've seen in months. It's the best match of the COVID era. Um surefire match of the year contender and one of the best 60 minute matches I've ever seen. How's that? Um, I just, you know, in 60, and 60 minute matches, you know, I, you know, I, I struggle sometimes because I can't stand 
you know, the idea of we're going to go 60, but then we're constantly going to kill time and do things in the match that we don't normally do just because we're going 60, like slapping on a side headlock because I want to burn the next four and a half minutes or, uh, you know, just uh, killing time for the sake of it because we just got to get to the 60. Uh, none of that here. This was constant action and everything that happened in all 60 minutes of this match was part of the larger story. This was just a brilliant, brilliantly worked match by both guys, particularly Jeremy Wyatt, who I thought, I mean, he was just out of this world, ridiculously great in this match. And Fred Yehi was very good, but Wyatt, uh, the subtlety of his work and, uh, you know, snapping after he lost the first fall and then taking the cheap shot at Yehi to start, what would become, you know, the second fall, so to speak. And then working with that sort of heel edge for the rest of the match, but not in an over-the-top cartoonish way. He was just more, I'll do whatever it takes to win, right? Whereas Yehi, as the babyface, was just, I'm going to be noble and and uh, and 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 a pure babyface throughout this whole thing, while Wyatt was taking all of these small shortcuts all along the way. And, um, you know, I wrote a super long review. Anybody listening live can go read it right now. It's on the $10 tier with the rest of the written content. But um, this is going to threaten to be my match of the year. That's how good I thought it was. Um, this is everything I want in my wrestling. Two wrestlers taking it seriously. No shtick. Great commentary. We should talk about the commentary. Because I don't know how, how what you felt how you felt about the commentary, but I thought this was great. This was a three man booth, and they understood the story, they enhanced the story, um, they explained things, they covered for things when they needed to, um, so that helped. And it was just a huge dichotomy from the game changer commentary this weekend, which was some of the worst commentary I've ever heard in my life, and to me it really hurts the shows. This commentary was great. Uh, you know, with, with uh, I'll give examples. Wyatt taps quickly in the first fall when he's locked in the Koji clutch. And immediately, the commentators are speculating. Was it because he's hurt? Or was it because it's self-preservation? Because yeah. he, knows he's at, he knows he has 50 minutes to go in the rest of this match. Right? And then later on, Wyatt, he has a pile driver finish. He went to pile drive Yehi for the finish, but he didn't get him up all the way. I couldn't tell if it was just a minor flub or if it was part of the story. And the, and the, and the commentators was Matt Jackson, as a matter of fact, the other Matt Jackson, not the AEW Matt Jackson, the former Pierre Abernathy, who's going by his real name. Now he quickly jumped on it and said, well, you know, yehi has been working on those legs the whole match. I don't think Wyatt was able to get the weight up. Now that may have legitimately been what Wyatt was doing, but whether it was or it wasn't yeah. because of the commentary, it now becomes part of the story of the match, and you can buy it. It's little things like that, the attention to detail, you know? And um, the commentary was, was, was just as good all the way throughout. You know, with those two examples, and there were many other examples similar to that. So I thought the commentary helped the match out as well. It was uh, Matt Jackson, Ben Miller, who I'm not familiar with, and Sean Arleans were the commentators. And I thought they just did a tremendous job. And not just because 
you know, Orleans used the line standing and pacing in my den. That has nothing to do with my... <laughs> there was a lot of notebooks being referenced and, and, uh, on that night as well. Yeah. Get out your notebooks. But, but no, the commentary was great. Um, you know, I'm not going to repeat my whole review. You can go read it. Because I wrote a lot of words about this match. And I really explain why I went the full five. I went five stars on this. That's how much I love this match. And some of it... I got one more point and then I'll turn it over to you. And some of it could be because I'm so down on everything else. Sitting through these fucking evil matches that I hate. And sitting through WWE pay-per-views. And watching a lot of the slop that Game Changer gives you on most of their shows. Maybe I'm so down on the rest of wrestling that when I was finally given a truly great match with great work and great storytelling and, you know, two veteran wrestlers who are wrestling and great commentary and everybody taking it seriously, that maybe all the shit I've been watching, maybe the five-star rating is kind of a byproduct of Finally, I have something I can sink my teeth into. But that's what I felt when it was over. And that's what I gave it. I went the full five. So I loved it. It's got my strongest recommendation to everybody listening. Um, And I just think it's a very strong match of the year contender. Rich Krejci. Go ahead. There you go. So I, uh, I I liked it as well. I didn't like it nearly as much as you. I did not go five stars on it. And, and I, I totally get why you did. I totally get why that was a match at the time when you watched it that just kind of worked for you. You, you know what I mean? Because like, like when I watched it, I came away with very similar reactions to, to what you said. I just didn't – it didn't – hit me on that emotional level the same way it, it did you. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like, you know, when you watch wrestling matches as important as, you know, what's going on in the match as well, particularly, you know, given in, in, in this week when you've been just a deluge of, 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 of shit going on in the wrestling world uh, right now and wrestling being bad seemingly everywhere, uh, it was nice and refreshing to watch just two guys get in the ring and just work their asses off for 60 minutes. And that that's really what I came away with liking this match so much for is that the pace is awesome. And I don't mean that they're just going balls to the wall for 60 minutes. I don't mean that, you know, they're just going crazy for 60 minutes and, oh, my God, how'd they keep it up for 60 minutes? But the action never stops. Like, it's one of these things where, like, even when they're in holds, every hold has – it's not just a guy lazily holding – you know, throwing in a side headlock and waiting for 10 minutes to pass or whatever or waiting for five minutes to pass or whatever. It's it's action. It's whether they're outside the ring, which is very rare, they're outside the ring. A lot of it's just in the ring. When holds are going on, guys are trying to get out of the holds, they're trying to get to the ropes, they're trying to break it as quickly as possible. Uh, when a guy's got a pinfall, he's trying to kick out as quick as possible and try to do, you know, there was all this stuff. There was all these, everything was just action, 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 action without being a thousand moves. It was just everything. And, and, and it again, we talk about this all the time. We watch old wrestling as much as anybody. And we always say that this idea that like good wrestling is you got to slow things down and take your time and sit in a side headlock is just bullshit. You don't have to, and no, and not no wrestling did that for a long time. Like that's just not a thing that happened. We go in those you know on those deep dives. We're watching these fantastic matches or whatever or the fantastic matches, and they're just going nuts. You know what I mean? Like they just tag and they're just fucking punching and kicking and punching and kicking and doing moves and cheering. Like it's just all action the entire time. And that's where I got out of this match is that like in these sixty minutes, there's no point where you're like ah geez, these guys are just wasting time. They don't waste any time. In this match, everything that happens is meaningful. Everything that happens has a purpose and has a reason and, and, and keeps you enthralled and keeps you engaged. And And I thought the falls were spread out perfectly as well. It wasn't your stereotypical um, sort of 
you know, falls coming at because we've seen, you know, we've all seen Iron Man matches, and you can kind of, especially WWE Iron Man matches, you can kind of close your eyes and guess and and assume yeah. when falls are going to happen. This one, I thought they were pretty varied. I didn't know when they were going to happen. They caught me by surprise at times. There was, as you said, ones where you know Jeremy Wyatt just goes, "Fuck it, I'm going to tap out right now because I don't want to, you know, I don't want this guy to break my arm or whatever. I'm going to just, you know, preserve myself or you know, attacking after a, a, a fall or whatnot, which is all really cool stuff. So I, I like that. Uh, again, I didn't love it as nearly as much as you did. I think I was three and three quarters with it, which is still a very good match. It's still a really entertaining match. I was just below four on it. You know, maybe even if I wanted to convince myself four, if I ever watched it again, I could probably do that. But that doesn't mean I disliked it. Like, I, I'm glad that you liked it as much as you did. And, and, and yeah, it was refreshing, too, to just have a match that's just no bullshit. Two guys go in there to prove who's the better man, and one of them comes out as the winner. And and like you said, I thought the commentary... I, I will say this about the commentary. I thought the the content of the commentary was good. I do think that they fell under the WWE trap a little bit of having to say, oh, every time an action move happens. You know, yeah. and that's not their fault. WWE has well, set not, that standard listen, for years. They're, listen, they're not polished. Exactly. It wasn't polished commentary. But it was good commentary that added to the match. Right. I thought the commentary helped the match where most commentary hurts a match. Like, the Game Changer commentary actively hurts the shows. Um, you know, this commentary, and I'm only using Game Changer because we're going to talk about Game Changer. Right, we right, just right. watched it. But you can go down the line for almost any indie. The commentary actively usually hurts the shows. This commentary helped, especially since I didn't know a ton about Wyatt coming in. I've seen him wrestle a couple times, but the commentary really helped me understand what he was doing and everything. And, and you know, um, and, and a lot of his moves and a lot of his holds and what he was going for. The other fall I really liked is when Wyatt fell behind. Um, he took Yehai to the outside and attacked him with the chair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he knew he was going to eat a DQ and lose a fall. But because Yehai was getting the better of him and had him on the ropes and had him, you know, selling that leg already, he needed to even the score physically. So he attacks Fred Yehai with the chair, accepts the DQ, but then figures, all right, I'm disqualified anyway. I'm going to kill him with the chair and then I'm going to get that fall right back. Because I'm going to get a count out, right? So he destroys him with the chair and then gets into the ring and he's telling the referee to count. So in other words, now he is even the living, the, the playing field physically, but he's really not even going to fall behind because the DQ and the count out are going to cancel each other out. But then Yehai makes it back in at 19. And Wyatt has this look on his face like, ah, oh, fuck, like he, it backfired. And now he's just down another fall. So like he had this dastardly plan to get back into it. And he fucked himself over. And then the way he works for like the next four minutes mm-hmm. is just violent, like a cage, that, like a fucking cornered animal. Because now he's like, now I'm down two falls. So he goes right after Yehai, and he's going up and doing those second rope elbow drops one after another. Yeah, he was great. And, Wyatt was really oh, great. I want to watch, watch more of him for sure after this. He was so good. And it's like, and he's going after him because he's like, now I'm, now, I'm, now I'm playing from behind. Now I, now I need to come from behind because my plan failed, right? And every time he needed to take a, a little shortcut, he did. He wasn't some cartoonish heel. He wasn't Jerry Lawler hiding an imaginary chain. He wasn't fucking, <laughs> you know, he, he wasn't. There's no Garoot wires. Have, <laughs> yeah, he didn't have Dick Togo on the outside choking. But what he would do is he would take little shortcuts when he had the opportunities, right? And 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 Yehai was just was not going to compromise his morals, and he was just going to wrestle it straight. And my God, the only 
I was trying to think of other 60-minute matches where they didn't waste a second or they didn't blatantly stall at any point. And the only other one I'd come up with was Okada Omega, the really long match they had, which I think is one of the greatest matches of all time. And if I'm thinking of Okada Omega when I'm watching your match, you're doing something right because that's one of the greatest matches ever. Like the Okada Omega matches, uh, the one in particular, the one that went super long, um, you know, where just that match was just enthralling for 90 straight minutes or whatever it was, 70, 80. Your dog okay over there? Yeah, he's fine. That's um, He's just excited about the nurse coming home, so. That's his yawn. He has a very. I bet she wishes you were that excited. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but anyway, it's just a, it was just a, one of those rare sixty-minute matches where everything they did mattered. They had me enthralled from bell to bell. They never lost me, which is so hard in a sixty-minute match because everything played into the next thing. You know, and I don't want to give too much away because I assume people are going to go watch it now. But and I already gave away the first couple falls. But everything plays into the next thing in this match. And Wyatt in particular, this is one of the best pro wrestling performances you'll see from an individual all year. It, he is he was that good in this match. And Yehai was right there with him. I just oh, think sure. Wyatt yeah. I just think Wyatt was given the more interesting role in the match, right? But you still have to deliver. And he did. And um yeah, this was uh I I, I didn't you know, I was told by some people that I was gonna like it because they thought it was right up my alley, and I went in a little skeptical. I had no idea I was going to love this match as much as I did. This is what I want out of my pro wrestling. Tell me a story uh, that that makes sense and is logical with great work, with commentary that helps, and with two guys who know how to go. That's all I want. I don't need all this other bullshit. I don't need Garot Wires and Dick Togo. I don't need it. This is all I need. So it's great. And it made me, like you, I'm now way more interested in Jeremy Wyatt. Whereas before, he was just another indie guy. Yeah, right. Right? And he's going to be, I think, in that big St. Louis Anarchy round robin tournament that we're going to talk about next week. I think he's in that. So I'm really looking forward to his stuff, um, you know, when that tournament rolls around too. But yeah, great match. I wrote a full review um, behind the paywall, $10 tier, if you're interested in expanded thoughts. Plus, I reviewed like five other matches. Um as well, including Arez and Ricky Marvin from Lucha Memes and uh, some other matches as well. Uh, well, at one on the topic of matches that that we really liked and really kind of worked for us, uh, there, there was a match or well, there was a, a show this weekend uh, as well. We're going to talk about the GCW shows here in a bit, but there was a, a Paradigm Pro Wrestling. Do you know anything about Paradigm Pro Wrestling at all? It was on I independent wrestling TV, but I don't very quickly. And then we'll talk about paradigm. I just looked up the blocks for that St. Louis anarchy tournament. And again, we're going to preview it next week. Yeah. Next week we're going to talk a lot about it because this is a G one style tournament that they're doing. And it looks really awesome. It looks interesting, but uh, Wyatt is in the B block and listen to some of the names. He's going to work. He's got, uh, he's got Warhorse, Matt Fitchett, moonshine Mantel, who I know nobody knows who he is, but he's a Texas guy. And trust me, he, he will be signed one day. Let me just put it that way. Um, uh, Christian Rose, AC Mack. There's an opportunity there for this guy to have a bunch of good matches. And uh, Fred Yehai's in that tournament too. Um, his block has Gary J. Um, uh, can't even read my own writing, but we'll preview. We'll give you all that in full next week. We'll talk about it next week. Yeah, they deserve it. It's it's a pretty cool thing that they got running there uh, in St. Louis. So 
Yeah. So, all right. So the paradigm for wrestling is, is, and I haven't not watched any of their shows prior to this. I just watched this one. Uh, and this was the, because it, it was a, a big wrestling weekend and everything, it felt back and uh, which could, we have a, a column up at voice wrestling.com uh, as well. Andy Labar wrote a, a really great piece, just kind of covering the entire weekend, uh, the best matches from the weekend, the, the, how you can watch the shows, all that sort of stuff. Cause yeah, there was, you know, beyond ran game changer ran twice and then paradigm ran in, in Sellersburg, Indiana, which I think is just outside of Louisville. Um, and that was on the Friday on independent wrestling TV. So I decided, hey, you know what? Let me check this out. It sounds interesting. It's a, it's a cool concept. So what they're doing is kind of a a hybrid shoot fighting, but also sometimes deathmatch thing. It's it's a weird concept, but it works. And 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 it, you know, everything is you know, all the 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 some of the matches are done under UWFI rules. Some are done under street fight rules or whatever. I prefer the UWFI rules matches on this show uh, as well because that was kind of a – it's a style that, you know, people think that we hate shoot fighting or whatever. And I don't. I just hate boring shoot fighting. I like good shoot fighting, you know, in terms of like or, – or work shoot fighting, I should say. I don't really care to watch any shoot fighting. But, you know, fun – Work shoots are are fun and they're fun. They're they're good matches. Boring ones where you just lay around, you know, in in in, in holds and and you know grapple on the mat, you know, loosely. I that stuff does nothing for me. But this stuff, and and there was a match on this that was kind of similar. It's it, I didn't go five stars. I'll tell you that. But a match that was like ah, this is everything I need out of wrestling. This is just what I love about pro wrestling. And it, it's it's like it's not even a match that I think I could go like over four stars on. It's just a match that hit at the right time for the right place and just kind of work to your sensibilities. And that match uh, was in this tournament because they had like a kind of a one-day tournament here. It was Tom Lawler, Filthy Tom Lawler, who, who rocks, by the way. You, you're a big Tom Lawler fan too, right? Well, the thing about Tom Lawler is I thought for a while there he had a great presence and a great look and obviously with the um, UFC background. and But I thought that the work needed to catch up. I think it's it's catching up now. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, the, the look, I don't know. Maybe he could lose the jean shorts, but it's fine. It's okay. The, the weird thing that he's got going on with the the, the jorts uh, wrestling yeah. gear, but that's fine. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Uh, and they're then tights he, that, they're tights that look like jorts. Yes, it's strange. They're not actual jorts. They're not actual jorts. No, he's not John Cena out there, but they're they're tights, but they look yeah. like jorts. They're they're like jiggings, jort jiggings or something. They're very strange. They're so. fucking yeah. They're wrestling tights that look that that look like denim, but yeah, but strange. They, yeah, <laughs> very strange. Yeah. Uh, so he was against Calvin Tankman, who we'll talk about a little bit as well, because he was on a GCW weekend um, as well. So you're, you're, you're thinking, if you don't know who Calvin Tankman is, he is a very large man, much larger than Tom Waller, you know, yeah. by maybe 110 pounds. Easy. Maybe 150 pounds, to be honest. Yes. Um, He's uh, rotund. He's thick. He is a thick fella, that uh, Calvin Tankman. So it's Tom Waller versus Calvin Tankman, and bell rings, they just fucking, you know, just beating on each other right away. Tom Waller's going for strikes. Calvin Tankman's trying to take him down as quickly as possible or whatever. The match itself is nothing that's that, like, you know, it's, it's not this unbelievable match that you need to go out of your way to check every second of, of everything out. But what I loved about it was this finish. This finish was, oh, I, Joe, you're going to love it too. You would do the same thing I did when I watched it. So uh, Tom Waller's working over Calvin Tankman, working him over, working him over, just kind of working him, you know, to, 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 to finally be able to finish him off. He does a belly-to-back suplex on Calvin Tankman, which, by the way, like, Calvin didn't, like, I don't want to say that Calvin didn't go up, but I think he made it so that Tom Lawler had to look like he was really forcing to get him up, which worked for the rules of the match. You know, if you have rules match, I don't want to, you know, you don't want Calvin Tankman leaping to his feet and jumping halfway across the ring or whatever. You, you know what I mean? It needs to look like it was a little bit of a, you know, if you're doing a work shoot, it's got to look like it, it, it. there was a struggle. It has to look like Tom Lawler had to kind of work to do it. So he does. He does a belly to back suplex to Calvin Tankman, which is awesome. It just looks great. The ring just shakes the camera shakes the announcers are like oh my god i can't believe he did that so calvin tankman is, is stunned he gets um the referee starts doing a standing five count to him or a standing 10 count i should say 
Uh, Calvin Tankman is on his knees. He's slowly getting up. The referee's at like four. Tom Waller, instead of saying, come on, get up, or yeah, get up, you bastard, you know, instead of doing like something like that, just fucking runs at him, hits him with a running knee, and the referee stops the fight. Yeah. And I love, because it was like, he didn't fucking wait. The second Tankman got to his feet enough, for, or got to his knees, without even any hesitation, Tom Waller, who's been trolling the crowd the entire time, just goes with a running knee. The crowd's booing him, because they're like, how did you not let this guy go up? And he's like, hey, doesn't matter. You know, they, they, they raise his hand, and he goes, hey, doesn't matter how I did it, I'm the damn winner. And then he walks out of the ring. And leaves and moves on to the tournament. But it's like, it's one of those things that's like, yes, it's just wrestling. You know, the guy just wanted to win the match. He didn't give a shit about, oh, if this is the right thing to do. Or, oh, I should let the guy get to his feet. Or, you know, getting heat. Getting heat, you know. And I think, yeah, somebody in the chat room has a great quote. He says, get up, Tankman. You asked for this fight. (laughs) It's awesome. It's so good. Oh, my God. You have to watch this. It's great. I'm not doing justice to how great the knee was when he did it. It was just so perfect. I didn't have time to get to any of this before the show because I watched a ton of shit this week. But um, I will check it out because everyone is saying good things about it. Was there, the there are some was, matches that stink. I will tell you that. The, was the family food dude on the show? Uh, Eric Stevens was on the, the – the, yeah, he was on the show. The, so. the family food dude was there. <laughs> is, that, is that what he officially uh, is going by now? I don't know. That's what he used to go by, oh. family food dude. Uh, he was on the show, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, was, he was there. Um Okay, doesn't sound like you were enthralled by it. Nah, he was fine. He's fine. He's fine. Yeah, he's usually, he's usually fine. Um, I, uh, I will, strip mall purple I'll belt was there though, Don McGarini. So that's always. Well, good. you know, you want to bury him, so just just go bury him. <laughs> I just, I, he's, I just think he's boring. <clears throat> go for it, man. I don't know. No, I, I'm just I, watching this entire show, and there's like, you know, there's all these guys that are out there doing, you know, and I keep hearing all oh, this. Oh, this guy's a purple belt. He know he really knows what he's doing out there. And I'm glad, but like it's a you know it's a, it's a work too. So like it's the thing we say with Hideki Suzuki too. It's like well, if it's a work, like you know, let's let's you know. Can let's I go. say something about? Can I say something about all this? Yeah. Can I say something about it? Okay, so MJF gave a promo on Dynamite this week, and he talked about how um, he actually, if you go by the minute by minute ratings, is the biggest draw in AEW. Right? He said that in his promo. And it's a great thing to say in the promo because it can't be disproven, right? It's not true. Like, we know that it's not true, right. that he's not the minute by But he can say that, and no one can counter it, and it can't be disproven. So it's a great thing to say in a promo. Why doesn't Dominic Garini just say he's a black belt? Isn't that higher than purple? It is. I think. I don't know. I don't know enough about my, uh, my belts, but I believe it is. Yeah. If black is higher than purple... Then why the fuck doesn't he just say he's a bull? Who would disprove it? Why would you say, I'm the second best thing? It doesn't make sense. It's pro wrestling. Just say you're a black belt. You know what I mean? Like, uh, when dis- guys pretend. It'd be disrespectful to the, the genre, I guess. I don't know. You know, it's like if you're going to pretend you're an Olympian, you don't say, ah, I'm a bronze medalist. Nah, you say, I'm a gold medalist. Yeah, Mark Henry is the world's strongest man because he won time in a competition (laughs) at the time. You know what I mean? Like he didn't win the Olympics. He's clearly not the world's strongest man, but you know, hey, Mark Henry finished 18th in the Olympics, but in 1995, in one competition, he beat everybody. So fuck it, world's strongest man. His moniker isn't the 18th strongest (laughs) man in the world. Right. His moniker is the world's strongest man. So why doesn't Dom Guarini say he's a black belt now? Black belt better be above purple now that I went on this rant. I bl- I b- I'm almost positive it is, but yeah, someone's going to be correct. What's us, his yeah. discipline? BJJ? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's jujitsu. Yeah. It's got to be black belt. Why would it not be black belt? It's always black belt. 
Um, let's see. Oh, this is so confusing. Who the hell? Knows? Who cares? Who cares? Yeah. E- either um, way. Um, just in general, I think he needs to kind of. No, black belt. Black belt is ahead of purple. Yeah, belt. just say you're a black belt, dude. Who cares, dude? Brown belt's ahead of purple belt. <laughs> so he's like, that's why I called him strip the strip mall purple belt because he looks like a guy who goes to a strip mall and, and just participates in jujitsu classes. But yeah, I didn't even realize that the purple belt was. Hold, I gotta make sure this is right. Brazilian jujitsu ranking system. Okay, let me make sure this is right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, adult belt ranks. Here we go, dude. It goes white, blue, purple, brown, black, and then there's like degrees of black, and then it goes to coral, coral, and red Ooh. with degrees of red. But here's the thing: okay? nobody knows about the red belt. Just say you're black. No one belt. cares <laughs> about coral and red. Right. Everyone just thinks black belt is the highest. And not only that, black is higher than purple. And not only that, it's like there's one in between. Why the hell would you call yourself a purple belt? Just say that you're a black belt. It doesn't make any sense. Like, if I were a wrestler and I was in a feud with Dom Guarini, the first thing I would say if I was a heel is I was a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Even if I didn't know the first thing about jiu-jitsu. Right, it's clear you don't know anything about jiu-jitsu. Right, that would be my whole thing. Like, people would – because if you're a heel, that would be a funny thing to say. You'd be like, yeah, well, you know, even if I was a deathmatch wrestler, I'd be like, well, I'm a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Because he's not even saying he's the best thing. It doesn't make sense. Like, MJF didn't go out there this week and say that he's the third biggest draw in the minute by minutes on Dynamite. He said he was number one, Right? I don't get the purple belt thing. Just say you're a black belt. Well, but, there's a lot of things that he needs to realize it's a work and, and just kind of, you know, work out. But whatever. It was Otherwise, it's a very fun show. I, I think you'll like it. Again, there's a lot of stuff that you're probably going to want to skip. There are matches that are very clear when you see the guys get in the ring that you can probably tell, wow, this match is going to suck. And you're probably right when, when you see it. It is, it is still... It's still shindy at heart, but there was some really cool concepts in it, and I thought the commentary was pretty good. And there are guys and there are matches that I think will, will pop you. So I think I think it's worth your time. It's a pretty easy watch. Again, you'll see the two guys in the ring and go, "Yeah, this doesn't look like it's going to be good," and you're going to be right when you think that. So I'm not. I'm gonna. I got to keep needling you on Garini. Do you think part of the reason you can't get into this guy is because of his look? Well, yeah, that's why I call him the strip, you know, strip mall purple belt. Which, you know, I'm glad that he's a, he's a purple belt. I'm glad that he, he, but yeah, he looks like a guy who works an office job, and then after work, you know, packs up his little gym bag and goes to a jujitsu gym, rolls around with you know a guy, and then you know goes back, takes a shower, goes to bed, and you know goes back to work the next day. Like you know what I mean? Uh, like, you, now, you you concede that he can stretch you? Oh, for sure, he beat my ass. Of course. Okay, but. His it's a work, is, you know. Like I don't care. It's a it's a cosmetic business, Joe. I've all you so know. So this is what we're. I'm a body guy. I'm a body guy now. You're, there it is. There it is. That's what I've been trying to. I'm work an effort guy. I'm not a body guy, Joe. I'm an effort guy. You're a body guy. That's I'm an effort guy. Get on a treadmill. Do some squats. Let's go. <laughs> you know, we like were, look like a badass. Tom Waller looks we were, like he's gonna whoop your ass, right? We were not getting off of Paradigm Pro Wrestling until you said I'm a body guy. That was the. <laughs> I was going to stay on Garini until you once again admitted that you were a body guy. But, I mean, he's got the plumber's crack and the shirt. That, that's what smart. I mean, man. Dude, like, I, I think there's potential there for sure with him. But it's like, dude, get get pants that fit. I, I can't take the UWF icon, UWF icon, which he was calling himself, uh, really seriously when I can see your ass crack. You know? And you're yeah. loosely kicking 
you know, Gary J in the leg as Gary J is chopping you back. It's it's echoing through the building as Gary J is chopping him, and then you know, Dom Greeny throws like a really light kick. Gary, it's just like Gary Gary J can fucking chop. Gary J is a chopping motherfucker. Oh, I, oh, for sure, and that's the match. It's Gary J and, and, and Dom Greeny. Which the, the problem though with that, and, and again, is like, you know, Gary J is out there, and you can hear it. It sounds, and the crowd's reacting to it because it's like, yeah. whoa. Oh. This is what you're saying. The Gary J chops were impressive. Right. And the crowd's going, whoa, that guy's a badass. Look at how how loud his chops are. And how, nobody knows that you're, you know what I mean? Like, except for your jujitsu nerds, nobody knows that, like, you're, you know, you know, pulling guard. It looks, you know, it's a solid guard technique. Nobody gives a shit. It's a work, dude. Like, have some excitement. Have some fun. Let's go. Plus have some impact. Us, plus, you're telling us you're the third best belt. <laughs> right. That's all I mean. I so. really think that's a major problem here. It's, not, not it's definitely weird. Yeah, it's definitely weird. Not only should he say he's a black belt, he should come out wearing a black belt. Like, he should have a physical black belt. Like, he should come out with the gi, right, tied together with a black belt. Oh, no. Like, old school 70s karate style, the fucking black belt. It's disrespectful to the game, though, the art. The first time he – but it, the first thing I think of when he says <laughs> purple belt is my the first thing my mind does is say, wait a minute, how many belts are above purple belt? Well, you, and, you said that before, too, where, like, you know, you, you, you'd manage – you know, restaurants or whatever before, and they would say, "Yeah, we finished third in like the area for best burgers." And you're like, "Get that off yeah. here!" Like, That's yeah. That would always <laughs> like we would like. Okay, so my company will come in and take over X amount of a different you know restaurants where, and I'll go in my first visit, and there'll be like a dusty fucking sign near the front door that says, "You know, fourth best pizza in Corpus Christi, 1998." <laughs> and I'm like, "Why is this on the wall?" Number one. You're admitting that there's three places better than you, and it's also 15 years old. Just fucking things like that don't go on the wall unless you're number one. That's the first rule. And things like that have to come off the wall the next year. Like once the calendar turns, nobody cares that you were the best pizza in Corpus Christi last year. Yeah, because it makes me think, what would you do the last 18 years or whatever that you haven't won? What they're going to think is, why didn't you rank this year? What happened? quality go down that shit gotta come off the wall and for god's sake why are you telling people you're fourth best or third best or eighth best or top 10 don't put that shit on the wall when the dopey chamber of commerce nerd comes into the store and hands you the plaque you thank him you shake his hand and you throw the plaque directly in the garbage you don't put that on the wall you don't admit your futility it drives you nuts and you don't tell people you're a purple belt just say you're a fucking black belt and when someone walks in your fucking pizza place, they, you don't have a plaque on the wall that says you're fifth best. You tell them we were voted number one. Just who cares? They can't disprove it. It's the MJF theory. Let's move on. There it is. So that was Paradigm Pro. I, that, I will say definitely recommend watching the show, but definitely watch the Tom Lawler Kelvin Tankman match. You, I think, will will absolutely love it. It's one of those, again, match wasn't incredible, but the finish just landed with me perfectly where I'm just like, yes, hell yeah, let's go. So, all right, let's talk about this Game Changer weekend here. Uh, so, GCW Homecoming, uh, they had two shows. Uh, on the uh, the Garden Pier in Atlantic City, have you ever been there, Joe? The Garden Pier in Atlantic City. It's, they were, this was at Showboat, which is at the far end of the uh, boardwalk. Um, it's no longer a casino. I think it's just a venue that holds events. And I believe it's still a hotel, if I'm not mistaken, but it's been one of the many victims of the quickly dilapidating Atlantic City scene. I don't think there's an actual casino at the showboat anymore. But yeah, it's at the far, far end of the boardwalk, and yes, I have been down there. Okay, so good times or bad times at the... uh... Well, showboat used to have an awesome buffet. So I 
that was always my buffet of choice, not for breakfast, but like a dinner buffet. I would, uh, I would go to the showboat. Um, so, you know, if you're going to walk all the way down to that far end, or if you're going to rent one of those fucking Mr. Fuji rickshaws, remember the rickshaws at WrestleMania four? I do. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So if you're going to rent one of the rickshaws and, and, and go all the way down there or, or make that long ass walk down to the far end of the, uh, the boardwalk for, for your buffet, you may as well stick around and gamble a little bit. You know, the showboat theme was kind of kind of cool. But, uh, but yeah, I've been down there, and I spent a little time in the showboat, sure. There we go. All right, cool. So it, it looked like a good time. It looked like a fun time. I like, I like beaches. I like piers. I like boardwalks. So I, I feel like something. Yeah, well, enjoy, Atlantic, so. Atlantic City is like a dollar store Vegas on a beach. That's fine. Oh, I actually, you know, I should have go there. I don't know why I don't go. Well, now I'm too why. late. I'm 20 years too late to that, unfortunately. But. You are. It's definitely peaked. Um you know, uh, you know, because Trump ran all of his into the ground, and a lot of the other ones closed, and Showboat isn't even a casino anymore. But there's still casinos there up and running. And like I said, it's a fucking, it's fucking Vegas on the on a fucking yeah. That does sound up my alley. Yeah, because I like, and, like I, I, literally like and like literally like you walk out of the casino and you're on the beach, like you're on the boardwalk, and yeah, then the beach incredible. is ten feet away, like the ocean. You walk out of the casino and the ocean is right there. Like you smell the waves. It's like literally you don't even have to like go anywhere. It's just right there. So it should be. You should go. You should check. Put, it out. Putting on my to do list is go to go to Atlantic City in, in 2021 or something. But, you know, yeah, a little late to it. But I don't even like I don't even like gambling at casinos. I just like the concept of casinos because they have like cool pools and cool buffets and stuff. So um, yeah. that's where I'm at with, with casinos. So not a gambling man, but it's all right. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about these Game Changer shows. Uh, the entire time I was just thinking about going to a beach, it's the entire time I watched it. So, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, I just wanted to point out a few matches that I did enjoy. We don't have to go match by match. I don't think there's any need to, to do that whatsoever. Uh, one match that I really did enjoy, I wanted to talk to you about it, because I know you did as well. Uh, ACH making his return to the indies here. Well, he had, he had done a few indie shots before this, but uh, the first kind of maybe prominent indie uh, booking for ACH post, you know, WWE run here. Uh, he faces Trey Lamar. Uh, it was the second night on, uh, or second match on, on night one. And what I really loved about this match, and I think you talked about it on Twitter, but it's so cool to see grizzled veteran ACH. Like, we've reached that point in our lives. It made me feel old, too, because we fucking interviewed the guy when he was an up-and-comer, and now he's, like, grizzled vet trying to teach the kid how to work ACH now. And it's so weird, and I'm so uncomfortable with it. Yeah, he's almost 15 years in, and... um. Maybe not that much. What did he start? Like 2007 or something? Yeah, almost 15 years ago. Yeah, that's a long time ago. (laughs) And it's like, you know, he didn't really start making waves until 2009-ish. And then, you know, locally. And then he started breaking out 2010, 2011. And I think by then, most people who follow wrestling closely kind of knew who he was. But, um, yeah, it's funny because I'm watching ACH wrestle Trey Lamar. And it was every... ACH match that I watched when he was on the come up in Texas, except Trey Lamar was now ACH and ACH was, you know, the old veterans that were wrestling ACH 12 years ago. Right. So Trey Lamar is like the likable up and coming baby face that you're, that you're watching rise up the ranks before your eyes. And ACH is the guy slowing them down, locking in the headlock, doing crowd work. He did crowd work the next night against KTB. I don't know if he did crowd work in the Trey Lamar match, but you get the idea. Um, it's just funny to see him in that role. You know, he's not like he still does the the highly athletic things, but he's not all about the flippy doos anymore. And 
look, the guy's in his 30s now. He's uh, He's been everywhere. He, he, he He's working different, and it's interesting, mm-hmm. you know? I saw someone compare him to Pac, and that's very similar to Absolutely. kind of Pac's transformation. He was do- now, he was doing heel work though. And this you were talking about playing to the crowd. He was there was something that happened. And he just went like, "Oh, boo you" or something like that because they booed him about something. And he he, he realized yeah. that they you know were getting behind Trey because Trey was doing the fun moves. He was doing the flips and the dives and the and the hope spots. And ACH realized, okay, cool. Well, I'll play heel then. <laughs> and he did. He absolutely started just playing to the crowd and acting like a dick to Trey Lamar and and, and kind of reacting to the crowd. So yeah, it was it was very Pac like in that sense. And it's funny how you got this experienced wrestler in ACH, this grizzled veteran ACH. This is so <laughs> weird. I feel so old. God. The beginning of this show, he was a young up-and-coming guy that we were touting and telling people they should book. And it's like, you know, and, and he feels out the crowd. And game-changer crowds are easy crowds. They really just want to cheer for everyone except Ricky Shane Page, right? Otherwise, they just want to have a good time and root for action and root for fucking guys to bleed. But he managed to get the crowd to get behind Trey Lamar. Yeah. And he got this crowd to get behind KTB the next night. And that just goes to show what a well-rounded veteran worker he's really turned into. You know, he could have easily went out here on these shows and done the ACH greatest hits and gotten big cheers and went out there and tried to have four-star matches with these guys. And he almost got there anyway. But he didn't. He went out there and worked. You know, and, and it was interesting. And it was a different he's, – he's reentering the indie scene as a different kind of wrestler. And I think that's super interesting. Yeah, I can't wait to see how the run goes. Uh, and this 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 weekend gave me a lot of hope for what's going to come. It's going to be a different ACH. It's not going to be the same ACH. But, uh, you know, he doesn't need – if ACH came and was just AC, the, the ACH we know now on the indies, like – I, I think I, li- I like this more because there are a lot of guys that are kind of like, you know, dollar store or sort of inspired by ACH type guys. Like Trey Lamar, obviously, is, is a guy who probably watched ACH growing up. And, you know, because I, I don't know how old Trey Lamar is, but I'm sure. Why is know. this? Why is this so weird? We're talking about I know. watching ACH growing up. It's so it's weird. Yeah, he's weird. 23. So, yeah, of course he did. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's watched like. Yeah. Oh, it's icky. 23. Can you imagine being 23 years old? Imagine, ten years. Imagine talking to a twenty-three-year-old. Like, what would you even say? <laughs> like, you know? Hey, I know. It's like, Hi. Fucking... <laughs> How's it going? This guy was a teenager when ACH was on the come up. I know. It's, it's so weird. Like a young teenager. This show is too old. We need to cancel. Yeah, this, this show's. Yeah, we're done. We got to come up with a new. We'll, yeah. we'll go away for a little while. Have a new show, so we can't say, "Oh yeah, nine years ago when we interviewed ACH." Like, yeah. So he had really fucking, the whole apartment he was sharing with somebody in fucking Texas. Or yeah, you know who you know. You know who he was sharing it with? Matt Jackson. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't know if we were allowed to name uh, who he was sharing it with at the time. Nah, they said it on the air. We were, in the, we were in the middle of interviewing Pierre Abernathy at the time. He doesn't use his wrestling name anymore because he doesn't wrestle anymore. He just, you know, he's the promoter of uh, St. Louis Anarchy. And don't you remember? He went into ACH's bedroom and put him on the show. You don't remember <laughs> oh, that's that? right. I do remember that. Because <laughs> you, you asked a question and, like, ACH came up. And he was like, oh, why don't you ask him yourself? And then he like, <laughs> right. and we were like, oh, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Albert. And he's like, come over here. And then uh, like, he put him on the fucking show. Yeah, and then they were talking about NBA 2K for like 20 minutes too, which is pretty fun as well. Yeah, so it wasn't, it's not any, like any kind of big secret, but it, yeah, like it, that's where he was living in fucking St. Louis. But um, yeah, two really interesting matches against Trey Lamar and KTB. Uh, they have a show this Sunday in Indianapolis. You know who he's facing on that show? I don't. Yeah, I actually don't know what the card is for that show yet. 
Joey Janela. Ooh, okay. Joey Janela versus ACH. So that's a very interesting. That should match. be fun. Yeah, I'm in. I'm into that one for sure. A lot of fun. Uh, other match that I liked, and then we'll talk about some stuff that I didn't so much like. Uh, Dickinson and Matt, Matt's Warner was another just like let's go, just have two dudes fucking get in there and just prove who's better, just fight. You know I mean, I thought Dickinson was great this entire weekend on GCW. He's Dickinson. he's good. He's gotten himself in. I'm an effort guy, Joe, not a body guy. Chris Dickinson put some effort in at COVID. That guy's looking good. Yeah, listen, um, he's the best regular that they use for what I like in my pro wrestling. Just get in there and beat people up and uh, try to win your, your matches. Look like a badass. Wrestle like a badass. Um, he's my favorite guy to watch in this promotion. So, and he always looks good. He's whenever we talk about Game Changer, and we don't talk about all of their weekends, but we do it sporadically you know when there's time he's usually the most impressive person on a given weekend um ach was very good on this weekend uh you know there's some other people i want to get to on this weekend but you know dickinson is the most consistent performer out of the regulars in this company all right so now the uh some of the negatives here <laughs> we'll start with night one we'll get we'll get to some positives because there was some some different people in night two that i do want to touch on uh, briefly, but you know, we and we always say this too because, like, we don't talk a ton about Game Changer, but I, I watch almost all that I can. Like, if, if, if a Game Changer weekend happens, I try to watch it because you can't. We always, we always say this like, we can't do this job without like watching what is, you know, in what is big, what is popular, what is ever. And like, you know, GCW for better, for worse. And, and, and I think, you know, fine. I like, I, I don't hate them. There's some stuff that I don't love about GCW, but they are the top, you know. That niche, whatever you want to call it, the American indie niche or whatever, they might be the top American indie now, you know, with, with given what's going on. Like, there's no doubt that they're a major player in this marketplace. You, you, we can't do a show like this and not have any sort of awareness of GCW whatsoever. You they're know? undoubtedly they're undoubtedly the top indie in the company. I mean, it's not even it's, it's not even in dispute. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're absolutely number one. So, yeah, um, look, I don't put it on the same level as like, oh, it's night. 1994, we have to talk about AAA, or it's 2012, we have to talk about New Japan. Right, right. It's not quite on. It's not quite on that level. Like if you're doing a show in 1994 and you're not talking about AAA, you're lost. I mean, why would anyone listen to your show? Same thing, 2012 New Japan. But this is the biggest indie in the company. If we're ever going to talk about indie wrestling and we're not talking about Game Changer, whether we love it or not, and I have very mixed feelings on it, then yeah, we're not. We're doing a disservice to the listener. Uh, but as far as a, a lot of the other stuff on this night one, uh, not a lot of other stuff landed with me. There was a six-man scramble, or six-way scramble, I should say, at the opener. Uh, it was Tankman, Alley Cat, Benjamin Carter, Jimmy Lloyd, uh, Lee Moriarty, who I, I think is good. I like Lee Moriarty as well. And Matthew Justice, who I think is good as well. But the six-way scramble, not good at all. <laughs> it was oh, it's bad, huh? Yeah, which, which you know what sucks is, um, and that's another thing, Benjamin Carter, they've been giving this guy a shot. And we talked briefly about him a few months ago. I think of the new wave of flyers. He is going to blow by all of them because I think he is better and more sound than your Blake Christians and your Jordan Olivers. Your Alex Zane. Now, Blake, uh, Christian's getting good. Now, Christian's improving, you know, and these are all young wrestlers. They're all going to improve to some degree, or you would hope. But I think Carter um, is starting out ahead of them, and I think he's going to blow right by them. And I think Benjamin Carter has a chance to be a, a big-time indie star and a guy who can break out. But, yeah. You know, I, I, I could totally see why the scramble wouldn't have worked. Lee Moriarty is a guy, he does things physically in the ring that I've never seen done before. And I don't mean super athletic things in the way that he moves. 
there's movements that he does in the ring that I've never seen other pro wrestlers. He does he moves in a unique way, and it's little things like the way he comes off the ropes or or does a duck under or there's a uniqueness about him, yeah, which makes him really fun to watch as well. He's great. He has a match um, on that uh, the paradigm show with uh, Chris Dickinson, which is pretty awesome. So it sounds like it would be yeah, very good. It, so it, he's it, another it's guy really, really good. Tankman, we talked about. Uh, Jimmy Lloyd is what he is. He's a you know he's a, he's a he just he's good he at what he does. He, there, there's a lot of guys in, 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 in GCW, and we're going to talk about it with the main event, too, with Ricky Shane Page. I think Ricky Shane Page absolutely fucking sucks, but he's perfect for the role that he plays in that company. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've got like, I don't want to watch him. <laughs> like, I don't want to see him, but it works. It's like the perfect way. And, like, that's how I think about Jimmy Lloyd. Like, I think Jimmy Lloyd is absolute garbage, but, like, in GCW, it, it, it kind of works. I don't – again, I am more than happy to skip his matches, but – Look, he'll wrestle. He'll he's a guy who will wrestle for GCW his whole life. It's like a lot of those guys in another generation were just CZW guys for life. Yeah, you can run down the whole list. G- game changer has a bunch of those guys too. They're just they're going to be game changer guys for life, and that's yeah. fine. And they're over with that crowd, you know that that's a, that's all that matters for sure. And and that's a big reason why I kind of think I like watching game changers. It feels like they have that that blend of like yeah, your Jimmy Lloyd's, your Ricky Chain Pages, those guys that are like lifers. But there's a lot of dudes, and we'll talk about this this weekend as well. When we talk about Calvin Tankman, when you talk about Lee Moriarty, when you talk about Matthew Justice, Trey Lamar, uh, Benjamin Carter, you know, to a lesser extent, to, to me at least, you know, Blake Christian, Alex, Ant, like you're seeing the the next guys, like AJ Gray, who I think is pretty solid too. There's a lot of really good talent, and then there's also like you know, your lifers. But so that that's why I always kind of keep. If it was just their lifers, if this was just CZW bullshit, I wouldn't watch it. There'd be no way in hell, even if it was popular, I feel like I would just say, Joe, I don't really care to see this. But there does feel like there's enough like up-and-coming talent on these shows that it does feel, um, you know, like they are kind of that indie that, that feels like they're, a lot of guys are going to graduate from GCW and, and move on to bigger and better things over the next few years. So It's not even that. I mean, they're, they're just the place to go if you're an indie name now. Yeah, right, right. they're the biggest indie on the scene, and they run the most frequently, and they're the biggest indie on the scene. So if you're a guy who's making a name – on the indies, you're going to end up in Game Changer, so that's their slot in the uh, in the pecking order now. So you talked, we talked about ACH Trey Lamar. You talked about Dickinson, Mance Warner, Blake Christian, Alex Zane. I didn't see it. I assume this was either the best match on the show or one of the best matches on the show. It was okay. Uh, like I, your mileage might vary on those guys. I kind of think they're just flippy to be flippy sometimes. Listen, I, I think there's a lot of flaws in this current group of high flyers, and I've talked about it a lot. Like Blake Christian's and one I, of those guys who just does like three extra rotations. You're like, what are you doing, dude? Like, what's the move? Like, what's the plan here? Like, you know, it just feels like you know. And this reminds me a lot of like 2000s, like WCW or 2001 WCW when a lot of these guys came in, or or you know the indies when like high flying started really coming into in, in, and guys would just like do extra rotations on stuff and it's like all right that's cool but like what's the point like what are you doing like you know just i'm gonna do a tope but i'm gonna spin while i do the tope and it's like all right like okay cool like i feel like christian has really is really starting to tighten up his act he was he is is getting there you know and and um you know i feel like ultimately he'll be better than jordan oliver I i put zane on the same level um but i really i really truly i feel like benjamin carter is eventually going to pass all of them and, um, you know, if, if we're grouping all those guys together. So they did Alex Cologne versus AJ Gray in a death match. Uh, Alex Cologne is another guy. He's a death match guy and a very respected death match guy. He's good. As far as death match guys go, even watching him live, he's, he sticks out in terms of death matches. Like there's, you know, we talk, we talk about Takeda in, in, in Japan, how he's like 
a good wrestler that happens to be a deathmatch guy. I feel that way about Cologne too. Cologne does the deathmatch bullshit and and, and stuff. And I call it bullshit just because like I, I I I I it's fine. Everybody they, gets you know, everybody. Uh, yeah, but like um, I think he's really good as far as deathmatches go. He's, he's he's good in that genre for sure. So so I I have always liked Cologne. So then it was Effie and Nate Webb. I you know Effie. Yeah. I think look, Effie can work. He really can. Um, just a little heavy on the shtick sometimes, but. Look, if it's over, he's going to do it. Yeah. So there will be a, there, there will be time uh, sometime in the next few years where Effie has to sort of shed like the the, the irony stuff is going to kind of go away or, or lose faith, and then Effie I think will emerge where some of these guys are nothing without their gimmicks. I right. think Effie like we we've and we've said this from the beginning too. He'll survive. He 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 will be a player in the Indies for for years to come. He just you know won't be Good maybe a this character. Yeah. Good size, isn't he? Like six one six. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Really you know, good, size. Good, good build, good, good, size, yeah. good build, good look, you know, and, and, and can go. Um, I don't know. And then they did uh, Schlack and Nick Gage. There was a million matches on this show. So I didn't many. watch. I watched night two and I watched part of night one. I watched the ACA match from night one. Um, I wouldn't watch Joey Janela Yoshihiku. I'll do a Yoshihiko matches for like a little bit. But yeah, this one, Joey... I respect what he tried for here, but yeah, about three minutes in, I was like, all right, take her home. But but there was a really cool angle here where Leo Rush revealed himself to be Yoshihiko and returned to the Indies. So that was the coolest. Right. That's the notable Or not Yoshihiko, Leo. to be Yoshiko's handler or whatever. So the black. Yes, Leo figure. Rush. Correct. Not Leo, Leo Rush. Rush. The, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, Leo Rush returned after the match as a surprise. That's what you mean. And then they wrestled the next night. So, um, or they set up a match for the next night, Correct, yeah. which we're going to talk about moving forward. So Ricky Shane Page uh, wrestled Homicide in the main event. And Ricky Shane Page is getting the big heel push. And you spoke about Ricky Shane Page a little bit. Look, I think the fact that Ricky Shane Page is a legitimate top guy in the biggest indie promotion going is a major indictment on the current indie scene because he fucking stinks. He's there so is bad. nothing. He's so shindy too. He looks, and that's the thing I brought up. I said, he looks so bad and people are like, well, it's GCW. And I'm like, no, geez, a lot of guys in GCW don't look like this. Alex Cologne looks good. You know, Effie looks good. Like a lot of these guys don't look like shindy, like assholes. And then you got this just tub of goo that comes out and it's just like, Oh my God. And he just stinks. He's so bad. But, but the thing is like, they've built an effective storyline with him and Gage, and, those GCW fans, he gets mega molten heat. Yeah. So I can't, I'm, I can't stand his matches. They're never good. But you know his little, you know faction, four four oh or whatever it is, and it is what it is. They're going to make a lot of money building to that Nick Gage Ricky Shane Page match, probably at a Mania weekend if they could stretch it out again that long, and um, you know, or or run a big building and try to draw a couple thousand fans with it, and it'll work. But Gage got injured on the Beyond show. Yeah, it looks like it doesn't look good. It looks like his Achilles might be um, hurt. So, we'll, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully it's not a rupture because that'll be a while then. Then yeah, maybe you can wait, wait till WrestleMania weekend if you're going to do that, unfortunately. so It totally fucked up their plans for night two because it was supposed to be Gage and Ricky Shane Page with the stipulations. And, um, you know, Gage obviously couldn't work the match. So they had, you know... Uh, Page and all and his minions, they attacked the Alley Cat and uh, and Webb, Nate Webb. So that match never happened. And then Gage obviously couldn't wrestle, so it was Schlack versus all four of them. 
And then Alex Cologne came out, and then AJ Gray came out. Mm-hmm. And I was expecting the Alley Cat and Nate Webb to come back out, but they never did. Um, so that match just never happened, and they ended up not having an official match night two. And then Gage came limping out with the with the injury. And it was horrendous. This was one of the worst piece of shit matches you'll ever see. But they had to somehow get it to Gage scoring the pin for the storyline purpose. So, you know, they had to improvise. I guess you can cut him a break. And then uh, Gage ended up scoring the pin and doing his promo anyway. But a very bad ending tonight, too, because of the circumstances mm-hmm. they were in. But what did you think of Joey Janela and Leo Rush? Okay, so I thought the match itself was really good, but I think this is where you're going to bring in how commentary can really drag a match down because uh, Kevin Gill, I think, was it was Kevin Gill or was Emil Jo who was doing the commentary for this one? Both. Okay, well... Well, there was... Well, listen. Emilio Sparks was in the mix. Kevin Gill was in the mix. Yes. The Alley Cat got in the mix. Um, um, uh, Emil J got in the mix. Look, it's like a rotating cast of characters. Do I remember specifically who was calling this match? I don't. Here is what I remember from the commentary all weekend. It was fucking terrible. It didn't matter who was in the booth. This commentary is atrocious. And that's the thing about Game Changer. They're so rough around the edges with everything, and I know that's part of their vibe. But it would serve them well to tighten some things up, starting with the commentary. It just... Look, I know that this is never going to be a perfectly polished and clean product, and I understand that part of the appeal is that it's kind of gritty and rough around the edges, and that's the idea. But, man, it's a really hard barrier sometimes. And the com- and, and I completely agree. The commentary really hurt this match because they weren't putting over the story of the match. Well, because whoever the main one was, and I, I forget exactly who it was. I'm sorry if I don't, but they Gil. were. Kevin Gill was probably who you I think it was Kevin Gill. Well, he was, like, noticeably drunk in this match. Oh, that was, that was, that was, that was, uh, no, that wasn't Gill. The was that MLJ? Was okay. Yes. That's who I thought. Okay, so I thought it was MLJ on this match. So he's he's clearly drunk, like, you know, slurring his words, clearly had had a long weekend, and he's doing the entire match, this entire Joey Janela-Leo Rush match, which is a big, important match. Leo Rush returns his first, you know, match, first big match on the indies after leaving WWE against Joey Janela, who he had a huge rivalry with for years and years and years. These guys battled back and forth, had some incredible matches, arguably made both of their careers. Is that a super hot take to say that that feud... Kind of made these guys' careers. It didn't hurt. It was it, a certainly, yeah. Very I mean, high profile. Both of them. You know, Leo Rush got signed, you know, towards the back end of this. Feud. Yeah, it, this was a huge feud for both guys' careers. Yeah. Uh, so the entire time, MLJ is talking about how he got drunk once on St. Patrick's weekend with Joey Janela in Atlantic City. Yeah. And the story wasn't <laughs> even interesting. It was just the story. That he's like, yeah, on. we had some, we had some really good times. And the other, I think it was Kevin Gill. Like, oh, okay. What'd you guys do? And he's like, oh, I can't even tell you what we did. It was good stuff, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, and he's man. like, all right, cool. And then like the match would happen a little bit, and then he'd be like, yeah, oh man, I remember that weekend. Well, I don't remember too much of that weekend. It's like, okay, we get it, dude. You got drunk with Joey Janela. We got it. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> while these guys are having a bl- like a great man, like a thirty minute back and forth, really, well, I thought it was a pretty damn good match. A heated rivalry, Leo Rush making his return, and it's like we're spending the time talking about Joey Janela and you know you having beers in Atlantic City. Cool, dude. Like, and Kevin Gill tries, but he's just bad. Yeah, he tries to be like the straight man, play by play guy, and he's not good at it. He's bad. Um, you know, so he's just a bad commentator. But um, to me, the match it wasn't just the commentary. I thought they tried to tell like this epic story, and that this crowd wasn't into that. No, the no. crowd the crowd wasn't. 
into the story of the match or the history. This is a game changer crowd. They're there to see people bleed. They're there to see wacky high spots. Yeah, they went 30 minutes with this match, which I appreciate. Like, I liked it in a vacuum. If I just, like, put mute on and just watched this match, I would have loved I really, really liked it. And I still did like the match, but you're absolutely right. This crowd was like, nah, we're, we're good. <laughs> we don't need this. They, they lost the crowd early, and honestly, you know, I, I didn't like the match as much as you did because I thought they – a lot of things took a very long time to set up and, and, and the crowd wasn't buying the story they were telling or wasn't interested in the story they were telling. The crowd didn't get into this until Janela set up the dive off of that pillar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And then the crowd got into the mat. Once somebody dove off of a 20-foot pillar through a table, then they started chanting GCW and getting into the match. That's what they're there for. Right. That's what's tricky about the Game Changer crowds. Because Game Changer doesn't do a lot of uh, booking – or storytelling, or anything like that, outside of the gauge Ricky Shane Page thing, they don't do that. They just put matches together, but and they've taught their fans to just react to spots and blood. Well, they and are the carnage. new e- ECW baby, like you know. There, there was you know. See, ECW I, don't had... see, I don't like those comparisons. Because... No, but there was a point though. You, you by nineteen ninety nine ECW before Lynn and those guys. By late, there was a period where ECW was just that, where the new fans had just expected. I'm totally with you, like, 95, 96, 97, 90, like, there was a period, though, and, like, at least when I started watching, where I remember that yeah. the guys would go out there and try to have a match, and the crowd would just go, boo, blood, you're boring, boring, like, it, it I think Lynn and, and RVD helped out a little bit, and the, I think it did sort of evolve out of that, but there was, I, I do, I do remember distinctly a period where, like, fans, anytime a match went over five minutes, they were just bored out of their minds. Yeah, no, no, th- there's no doubt that little period you're talking about, but, I see a lot of game. A lot of people will say, "Oh, Game Changer is the modern ECW," and I understand why they're saying that, but they couldn't be more wrong. ECW was a very well booked promotion by one of the greatest bookers who ever lived. Game Changer, they don't even book it. There's no booking to, to speak of. You can't even say it's not well booked or it is well booked because, from a storytelling standpoint, they don't tell any stories. They don't even try. It's just here's the next card. And it's the best card we could put together. Everybody have a good time. Now, from that perspective, whatever they're doing is working from a business perspective. Right. right? But they're not – like ECW was a traditional pro wrestling promotion when it came to booking stories and building people up for title shots, building people up to be stars, booking people on the way out. Uh, you know, totally different. Like the vibes in terms of being counterculture – rough around the edges and this and that. I understand it's an easy comparison, but I also feel like it's a lazy comparison because I, I, when you really get to the nuts and bolts of it, they're, they're really not that much alike at all. Uh, But on the surface, yes. I mean, Nick Gage is essentially the Sandman. He's the fucking Sandman, right? He's, he's a guy who's enormously over with that fan base, but he wouldn't work almost anywhere else. And that's what really prevented the Sandman from becoming as big a star anywhere else than he was in ECW. You can't put Nick Gage in WWE. You can't put Nick Gage in New Japan. You know, you can't put Nick Gage almost anywhere except where he where he's at. And it works there. And he's a mega star. And he's over like a motherfucker. But it's like when you really start digging in, Game Changer and ECW are 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 uh, booked and presented in very different ways when you go beyond the surface. Mm-hmm. The surface I can understand. But look, they didn't really want this epic culmination of this years-long rivalry. The fans were not buying this match until he dove off of that pillar. And then from there, they went right to the finish. 
But the post-match stuff with the promos and, you know, Leo Rush has been saying he's retiring forever. He may really think that I don't buy it. He's 25 years old. He has a skill that can make him money. And that's pro wrestling, which he is tremendous at. It's a fallback that he's always going to have. Do I think he's going to go try music? Yeah, I do. But I don't think he's ever going to stop wrestling because it's an easy payday. Yeah, I don't think so either. He's he's kept he can, himself in great shape too. Like you don't yeah. do that if you're ready. If you got one foot out the door, you're not. You know. <laughs> I, well, yeah. I think he might even think he has one foot out the door. Right. But it's but he's so good at it, and people he's always good, and people are always going to want him to do it. Yeah, he's going to get too many calls to to he he's not going to be able to ignore every single call. There's going to come a time where he looks at the bills and he goes, ah, fuck it, yeah, sure, <laughs> you know, like it's going to happen for sure. Yeah, I mean, now if his music career breaks out and he's the next fucking whoever to fuck, yeah, maybe he leaves wrestling behind. But, you know, let's face it, the odds of, of anyone making it in the music industry are, are minuscule, and he's always going to have that fallback option of pro wrestling. So, um, you know, I, I feel like um, we're going to see more of him, whether it's, whether, he, whether it's in the cards or whether he even thinks so himself. Uh, did you like Dickinson and Tankman? Did you I did. Talk about yeah, that was a good little, little beef match. Yeah, I, I liked that one a lot. That was really, really cool. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like Tankman a lot. I think he's uh, – how, I wonder how old he is. I'm going to check this. I'm going to get upset. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't list his age here. Um, so I don't know how old he is. But, yeah, whatever whatever age he, he is, I, like, you could tell that there's a lot of really good potential there. And he's a big dude, and, and we need big guys on the indies. We need big guys that can move on the indies. I think he's – yeah, depending on what his age is, unless he's like randomly thirty-five years old, like he he's got a big future uh, in this. And and Dickinson just rocks. He's just like everything that I love about wrestling. And, and I'm so glad that he's back. And I'm I just really hope that he ushers in like the next era of indie wrestling. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah. That guy. I want that guy. Just fucking no nonsense. Comes to the ring in his backwards hat, throws it off, takes his shirt off, ready for a fight. Let's go. You know. All right. Do you want to hear this indie show lineup? Yeah. Let's go ahead. Uh, so here's what they got. This is actually a really good-looking lineup. Uh, Tony Deppin versus Benjamin Carter. So Benjamin Carter finally gets a singles match on a Game Changer show. And he's in there with a guy who obviously he can have a really good match with. So um, everybody knows Deppin's pretty good. But I think Carter, this can be a breakout if that match really works. So I'm glad he's getting a chance. Uh, Janela ACH we talked about. All singles matches, by the way, on this show for the most part. Uh, Dickinson versus AJ Gray. Uh, Tankman versus, versus Kyle the Beast. Uh, Blake Christian versus Trey Lamar. Mance Warner versus uh, Nate Webb. And then there's um, uh, Ricky Shane Page's uh, Scummer group against the Alley Cat and Effie. That match could just go straight mm. to trash. <laughs> Good God. Um, and then the debut. I, I might beat traffic for that if I, if, I, if I end up going to this show, which I could. I might. Might use that one to beat traffic. Hopefully, that's the main event. So, and then the debuts of Kylie Ray and Ace Austin with no opponents or matches announced as of this podcast. That's a really good lineup. That is a really good lineup. Yeah, I'll have to see how how things go on, on Sunday. Uh, not much going on, so I can make the drive. So we'll see. You go to Indianapolis? Uh, it's a it's a it's a drive, but I can do it. Yeah, I can do it. How long is that drive from where you are? Uh, what is it? Let me see. Well, today's these days traffic's a lot a lot easier. So. Uh, Let's see what the old. Uh... I just picture it as like Illinois and Indiana, and it's fucking twenty hours apart. Yeah, at three hours, so it's about a three hour drive for me. Oh, that's not bad. That's not bad at all. So, especially if I if I can dip out before that reshape page. 
Yeah, what was it again? No. It's Ricochet Invasion, whoever scummers are with Alley Cat. No, and I Effie. don't know. It's, it's, it doesn't say, okay, it's Alley Cat. It's the Alley Cat and Effie against that 440H or whatever. Yeah, so Ricky Shane Page, then like Eric Ryan or something like that. So yeah, or you just you know yeah. yeah it doesn't matter. I'm 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 beating traffic for that one for sure. <laughs> doesn't matter who it is. It's not yeah, you good. you had me at Alley Cat and Effie. I'm I'm good. <laughs> right. So, um, you know that that's great. Isn't that the best when you go to a show and like the one match you don't care about is the main event? And you can yeah. Just there was a while AEW when Sammy Callahan had that title. I, I missed I missed the title change. Unfortunately, I did miss Pentagon beating him. Uh, but yeah, I was beating traffic every single time out of there out of the Sammy Callahan. The second he gets to the, I would always say if he, if he goes to the bar and starts a brawl and like picks up a beer bottle and throws it at a guy, that's when I know that I can leave. And yeah, it happened every single time. I'm like, all right, cool. Like. Even surprised yeah. the nurse one time. She's thinking, oh, God, I have to sit here. And I said, honey, you want to go? And she goes, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> I was like, perfect, let's go. And she's like. Yeah, yeah. I miss, I miss the subtle change, but that's all right. You know, it happens. Yeah. yeah you're you're home so much earlier. You just yeah. waltz out of that arena. No one's in your way. Oh, it's it's a, it's a great feeling. Yeah, you moonwalk right out of there. Yeah. It's actually pretty great. You feel like you're home in like 20 minutes, even though it's like a two-hour drive. I don't know why. Like the drive's not different. <laughs> you know, nothing changed about the drive, but just feels yeah. like it. I don't, yeah, there's, there's, there's stuff. Because you feel like you're getting one over. Yeah, and that's basically what it comes down like, to. Like you're not going to keep me there for another 20 minutes. I'm going to leave. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's like fuck your main event. You feel like a real <laughs> rebel, you know. But um, and then they got tournament of survival, of course, three weeks after that, back in Atlantic City. So that's what they've got coming up. That backyard show a couple of weeks ago was one of the worst things I've ever seen. <laughs> I did not watch it. Is it bad? It's horrendous. And people are like, oh, well, that's the point. And I'm like, why would I watch something that is trying to be bad? Like that it's, it's, it's a waste of time. Like that, that, you know, yeah, I get it. I get that they're doing, you know, everyone's doing their backyard gimmicks and it's not meant to be a great, but believe me, this was even bad on trying to be. Yeah. Bad. Even, even bad at the concept of being bad. Yes, it just was stuff that just didn't work, and it was just fucking horrendous. But um, that's a you know, it's kind of non-canon when they do shows like that. I get it, but there's other game changer shows that just don't land with me either. Look, I'm not going to pretend I'm some kind of game changer mega fan. A lot of times, a lot you know, these two nights. I mean, a lot of it I had to turn it off because I got tired of it because I just uh, this stinks, you know. Um, a lot of it is too. I don't think. I think it's, it, the vibe I get is that they just send people out there and just let them do whatever they want. I don't think there's a lot of direction. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you leave wrestlers to their own devices sometimes, and it's just, you know how that can go. But, um, you know, it, it, but you, you got to keep your eye. You have to keep one eye on them or you're not. You don't have your finger on the pulse yeah, absolutely. if you're not paying attention to them to some degree. All right, so we're just about done here. Uh, Joe, for next week uh... – I, I, what do you? Where, where are you on Dragon Gate right now? I am on the verge of doing another one of my binge watches to catch up on everything. Okay, yeah, you should do that. There, there's some good stuff in there, and we, the Memorial Gate is going on on the second, so we'll, uh, we'll maybe we can talk about that. It's uh, uh, Doi versus Ata is the main event there. And there's there's some I good still... stuff going on in Dragon Gate, so I don't want to do a half-assed Dragon Gate. Let's do our rewatch. We'll maybe, we'll probably watch that event or at least the big matches from that event next week. So we'll do that. You're giving me homework. I'm getting catch a little bit of homework. Right. Yeah, catch up on the G, catch up on the DG if you get a chance. So. A lot of baseball going on too. It's I tricky. know, I know. There's um, good NBA, stuff in Dragon NBA, Gate though. NBA started tonight. Yeah, it did. Um, all right, I'll catch up on the Dragon Gate. I've been I've been putting it off, but um, 
I'll get with Iron Mike Spears and figure out where I left off and and uh, and binge the Dragon. That's how I do Dragon Gate now. I watch three months worth of it in a week. <laughs> in a week, yeah, right. And then come back three months later and watch three months of, worth of it in a week again. Um, I did watch a Triple Crown match between Suwama and Suji Ishikawa. Uh, which was the same night as Sengoku Lord, I think. Yeah, they were running head to head, I think, at the same time. Like the main events were on on, on both, you know, <laughs> both both pro- promotions were running main events at exactly the same time. So yeah, I did not watch that. So what what uh, what happened there? Ah, uh, no need. It was all right. I mean, people have been saying it, but it's true. Suji Ishikawa is just not the same. Mm-hmm. He's not bad, but he's clearly winding down. And I think at this point, his best stuff is in tags because Violent Giants, you know, that same two guys. I mean, they, they've had some really good tags. This sure. Year. Um, but as a single, it unfortunately, it's true. He's winding down. It's just they would have had such a better match two years ago, three years ago. Um, it wasn't a bad match, but the best way I can describe it is like two aging, starving walruses fighting over like a dead seal. <laughs> Like, Wal- walrus is a bad term here. That's doing a lot of work. Uh, there's a like, reason you picked walruses, right? Oh, yeah. That, that, <laughs> that, there's a reason I picked that whole analogy. Yeah. Not just walruses. Dying walruses. Starving walruses. Yes. You know, and there's a dead seal on the beach, and they're both hungry, and they fight over that dead seal. Like, that's what this. that's the best way I could describe this match. Like, they – it's just two beefy meat slabs – slapping each other in the chest and beating each other up, which on paper sounds great. But one of the guys just can't go the way he used to anymore. And here's the thing. He's the booker. This motherfucker's really pushing himself. I mean, he's the tag team champions and he has been all year long. Now he's himself a triple crown title match. Yeah, he fucking sends a Shino to the fucking mid card. Yeah, most of these guys who end up being bookers usually have, you know, the, the, the sense, well... I shouldn't say that because historically that hasn't been the case. But, you know, a lot of guys have, you know, the common sense to, uh, you know, I got to pump the brakes on my own shit. Yeah, a lot of the recent guys, a lot of the recent guys, your Junakiyamas, your Gatos or whatever, the second they get the book, they usually put themselves, at least themselves, as far as wrestlers in the back or in the rear view. But, yeah, not uh, not old pencil man there in all Japan. (laughs) No, I mean, he's booking himself like an old 70s booker who finally gets (laughs) the book. And he's like, I'm going to the top, baby. He's rubbing his hands together, you know? <laughs> but um, I don't know. If I had to star rate it, I'd go like three and a quarter or something like that. It was it was fine. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, I, you know, the Enfants, Terribles, you know, they've dropped some falls on some shows and tag matches. And I'm not going to say that Ashino feels like just a guy, but it's trending that way it's starting to trend that way. And that's a real shame. Very upset about that. It's a real shame. Cause I really feel like they had something with him and I want to see how it played out in front of fans. But, um, it's, 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 it's starting to trend towards, he's just feeling like a guy on the roster, mm. but we'll see what happens in the carnival, uh, which I assume they're still holding. I, I, I think they, they are. are. So they are, yeah, the end, the end one in the champion carnival, I think is like running concurrently. So it's going to be a wild, weird time in wrestling. Cause um, in, in Japanese wrestling, because a lot, because everyone's gonna kind of lump in everything that they've been trying to do all summer. <laughs> like this is kind of our weird like ease in point, but then like come uh, you know in a few weeks, everyone's just blowing it out, doing Carnival G one N one, all this sort of stuff. So it's gonna get pretty wild here for a bit. So you know, they, they, look, there's some fucking people who don't want to hear it, but as soon as there can be full crowds again, they're going right back to Kento. 
let's be honest. Yeah, oh, for sure. They're going right back to Kento. You got to go back to the ace. You know, it's this is fun for now, I guess. Watching Kento muck it up on the tags on the undercard and team with uh, the good Italian boy. Yeah, your boy, Francesco, right? But I mean, you know, he's the only star in that promotion, let's be honest. So you got to go back to Kento and then, you know, hopefully they see something in Ashino and they try to rev him back up. But uh, I don't know. So that's that. Uh, we have previews of the uh, Dragon Gate show uh, that's coming up this weekend at voicewrestling.com. I know the Open the Voice Gate uh, podcast also did a, a really cool preview of that show. So definitely, yeah, Joe, do your homework. We'll, we'll catch up on Dragon Gate next week, hopefully. Uh, and then, yeah, hopefully wrestling gets better <laughs> next week than it was this week. But I think we, we found stuff we liked. You gave a five-star match this week. We talked about a five-star match. So not all wrestling is bad, just a lot of it. <laughs> Most of it is bad right now. So hopefully we'll yeah, your spirits I, up I a little to, bit. So Rich, I had to dig for a St. Louis Anarchy match. <laughs> but you found it. And that's all that matters, right? I'll find something good, you know? And there's but. five seconds of the Tom Lawler Kelvin Tankman match. That's good, too. So you can watch that. I'm going to make it a point to, to watch at least some of that. I'll yeah. skip around. I, I, I think you'll like some of it, yeah. Uh, like I said, you will be, you will, it'll be very clear when a match is skippable. I will tell that is the second you say, ah, Rich, this match looks like shit. It looks like shit. Just move on. So yeah. well, that's a good guide. Yeah. So I won't even bother giving them. When the two know. guys in the ring look like they're dog shit, they are indeed dog shit. So <laughs> it's, it's fair it's enough. Very easy to, to figure out when you should skip a match. When there's a door in the ring, there's a pretty solid chance that you should probably just skip the match. So why? Wait a minute. Why is there a door in the ring? Because it's UWFI half UWFI, half street fights. Oh, come on. I, I agree. I skipped most of the street fights and just watched the UWI stuff. So that's that's all I'll say about that. So anyway, it's a little weird. I'm sorry. Now we're leaving on a negative note. I didn't want to leave on a negative note. I want to leave it on a positive note. Ah, well, fucking wrestling stinks right now. What do you want to <laughs> do? I got to tell you what I tell you. <laughs> it is what it is. The wrestling stinks. That's it for us. Voiceofwrestling.com, uh, at Voices Wrestling on Twitter, Voice Wrestling Podcast Network, all the other good stuff going on on there. So for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Craig. We'll talk to you guys next time on the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. Take care.